Raw Not Researched, Real Life Stories. To cope, I didn't like start when I say like, when I started perhaps the running or I used to act in plays every year, do something to get my mind off not being pregnant. When I started that whole journey, a whole decade of trying new things, it was, it was just to overcome the pain. It wasn't because, you know, I was going to enjoy this particular thing. I thought I just literally was looking for that distraction, which is like my, my way of coping. Like I say, that's no different now to, I could have turned to drinking or smoking to calm down at the end of the day or, like we all have these different fixes. I was like, I need something huge to distract myself and scare myself. So I'm so shy. I was going to do something out of my comfort zone every year. And that's what I wrapped my identity in initially. And I, like I said, I've since grown from that. But it, it was the whole decade, I think, of realizing um, that I hadn't dealt with a lot of the depression and pain properly. Like like I saying, why did you want to be a mom? Um, a lot of that, and I think in the beginning was, like I say, it's an identity. I can be a mother. That's what you'll call me. And when I started running, it's like, well, I'm a runner now, and it's all about that. And you get humbled every time because the plan doesn't go according to how how you wanted it to go. I didn't become a mom. And then when I'm injured, and it still happens today, I'm like, well, you see, you can't run. So who are you now? Are you any lesser person because you're not running now? Or So it's a constantly, I'm like, learning and I understand you know people we crave things and we fill the voids differently so the whole child thing I had to just learn it's okay when you know we with a, a couple with our children the only one you know at a gathering that's okay it's you know we know less worthy than the couple who has three kids what's your, what's life, your story? life story welcome to inspirational interviews where you'll discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here, and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful world. Raw, not researched, real life stories with your host, Jen Rod. Hi guys, welcome back to Inspirational Interviews. Those of you who follow me on Instagram know that I have actually moved country for a little bit. And so I've just been uh, reclimatizing to South Africa from the very cold Netherlands. Um, but I'm back and uh, yeah, super excited to be sharing these stories with you. And it's pretty cool because I'm going to be sharing a South African story with you guys today. Um, looking forward to introducing you guys to Debbie Ivans, just a real, you know, human hero who's going out there and just, yeah, taking control of her life, of situations that she doesn't have any control of and just really making her world mean something um, on this journey in her lifetime. And yeah, it's just a really cool, real life, super cool, inspiring story. So wait up for that in a minute. And before I click in with that, just a quick one, uh, find me on Instagram. Uh, for those of you who haven't yet, I'm always active on Instagram. It's, yeah, I like it. It's fun. So you can find me there and, you know, check out all the latest posts that I post. Um, I foresee that perhaps there'll be a couple of African posts coming up in the in the coming days and months. 
Um, and also, yeah, Instagram, as I said, Facebook, LinkedIn, all those uh, social media accounts. If any of you guys are on those, then go find me on those because it's always cool connecting there as well. And then subscribe on the website, guys. Once a week, you'll receive a super cool life story in your mailbox. Um, and share this on with friends as well because these stories are amazing. They change lives. They're just super cool human stories real life raw not researched and yeah play them in the background while you get things done in the house they keep you company and they really just give inspiration because you know when people share their life stories you know it's um yeah it gives us wisdoms that that we don't have to go through in order to learn those certain wisdoms you know we don't have to go through those life experiences but we can learn the wisdoms that other people have learned through their life experiences um and uh, yeah, I mean, I know at the moment, you know, with Corona, so many people are at home and, you know, life is just a bit unpredictable. So when you connect in with these stories, you know, they're real time, um, but they're also evergreen, you know, they're just real human life stories. And, you know, while we are going through a time in our life where things are so unpredictable, um, you know, life carries on and people have to carry on and your story carries on and you have to wake up and keep going. And that's what all of these stories are about. So yeah, share this on with friends if you know anyone who could benefit from just cool, positive life stories. Um, and yeah, guys, if you are needing someone to help you mirror your story, let me know. I do that on a sort of coaching basis. And yeah, we just sit um, at the moment just via Skype or uh, FaceTime or, you know, one of the apps that suits both of us. And I can just sit with you guys and, you know, hear your story out and just give you some mirroring and reflection on your own life story. I am an NLP master coach, so I integrate that into the process. But um, yeah, it's really sort of just a once off where I just give you the opportunity to, yeah, to share your story on a trusting um, basis and and yeah just gain clarity on your on your own journey and if you're needing someone to help you interview let me know as well I'm available for that currently in South Africa so I can do that face to face for those of you guys who need it here and for those of you who need it online then we can yeah doesn't matter where we are in the world we can interview anyway so guys without any further ado let's give a warm cyber welcome for Debbie Ivans she sent me a message and she said you need to speak yeah. Uh, with Debbie because she's really um, she's really inspiring and she has an amazing story to share. Now let's start from there, right? That's sort of the source uh, for me to to connect yeah. with you. Um, so let's go in there. Like, why do you think, um, it, you know, from from your heart, why do you think? Trish believes your story, yeah, is is something that, you know, that can reach people and that can help people. I've got so much. I, I think I, I can tell you what Trish was possibly referring to, which yeah. is what I'm most famous for. Okay. And then out of there comes so much, Jen, that you see, even you asking me that question now and I've had a good night's sleep, I'm feeling emotional. Yeah, <laughs> oh. yeah. Um. But what most people, when they refer to my story, are referring to is my journey with infertility mm -hmm. and how out of that pain, my motto is pain into purpose. I've managed to turn all these tragic things that have happened in my life and turn it into good. And ultimately, I've come out because I was very quiet before about everything and I've shared 
almost to the other extreme. And my whole purpose now, I feel, in life is to not waste my pain and to encourage others that when, like, you share openly like I do, I realize that other people then feel comfortable and have the courage to be vulnerable and share back with me. And yeah, it's just the most amazing thing ever. So what Trish is referring to is, yes, um, after my husband and I got married, the normal story, the next day everyone wants to know when are the children coming. And it's, it seems a lot more commonplace, unfortunately, nowadays, um, when sort of topics like this are you know, brought up often, it's not so taboo, although for a lot of people, it still is. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was going through it, I didn't know anyone else who was going through it at the time. I was a very private person and, um, uh, you know, the picture perfect idea of what life should be wasn't happening. And so we dealt with it privately. We realized, you know, I wasn't falling pregnant. There must be something wrong. And so began this journey which I can go into later, depending of trying to have children. And if I just skip through that for now to get back to what Trish refers to, eventually, after a few years, um, we couldn't hide it anymore. It was during the time of my miscarriage that I couldn't make excuses anymore as to why I was looking like I was or feeling like I was or couldn't come to an event. or And I then decided to share with everyone what we had been going through. Yeah. And the excuses also became a bit, you know, lame when everyone's like, surely you want children now and et cetera. But through that, then eventually I did share my story. But it's amazing how, gosh, it just spread that from writing an email, which is how I let a lot of family and friends know, just a general email, this is what we've been going through. And I shared that. And then the outpouring that came from that and mm. one or two people sharing. And I sort of became the face of infertility in my suburb and beyond. Um, and over the last, the whole, I'd say almost a decade, I ended up being in various media publications. I ended up writing a lot to express myself. Um, I put a little book together and we eventually had tried and we tried again and tried again, which like I said, I can go into detail later, but eventually when we stopped all treatments, because I think that makes a difference. Debbie, <laughs> it's so it's so funny. You're saying, I'll tell you all the detail. You say, so we kept trying and trying and trying again. I'll tell you the details later. <laughs> so that obviously in my sense of humor, I'm thinking, no, no. you can spare those details. <laughs> Oh my goodness. <laughs> this is not that kind of interview, Debbie. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> no, no. I'm not going to tell you what music was playing to help with all the theories that I used to think. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, not that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, brilliant. No, I'm no, carry on. It's good to bring a bit of humor <laughs> into these things, right? Because. I um, know. My, yeah. Believe me, my sarcastic and my dark humor, like, that's what gets me through. Like, besides my, like, faith. And just um, my strong mind, yeah, my humor, my husband and I especially, that's what, like, you have to find the funny side of these things. And we absolutely do. Yeah. Um, just to touch on that side, he, he does still joke that those were fun times when, you know, you come home and there was West Life, I think was the, the thing at the, at the time. <laughs> and that was my musical choice. And it was, oh, my goodness. 
it's very hard when you're on a clock like that with doctor's schedule. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that aside, um, I eventually um, – no, I've lost my train. Oh, sorry. It's Sorry, good. It's and I'll good. giggle like silly when I get embarrassed and there's not even anyone around. Um, <laughs> um, but I eventually, yeah, I ended up sharing <clears throat> sharing the story and um, getting it out there. And I think instead of going into that deep, dark depression, and I'll – I think that's another whole little segment we can go into. I decided every year after my husband and I decided we, we're not going to pursue this anymore. I don't have that happy ending, which I think is what appeals to a lot of people. With At the end of my little book or at the end of a chat with me, I can't say, and then I had my precious baby and my family and everything worked out fine. Yet I've managed to, I don't know, keep my faith, keep positive, And I think that's what... Um, People are drawn to, but it's taken me a long time to get to this place. But eventually, every year, I decided I'm going to step out my comfort zone and try something new and different instead of just dwelling on what I couldn't have, a child of my own. And it was eventually, I think, it was maybe year four or five that I decided, okay, I'm going to try sport this year. And that was running at the time, which is where I met the huge running community and that didn't just last one year that's something that's continued for many years okay um so that's kind of where trisha that story comes through yeah um but there are lots of little like <laughs> sure sure so i mean let's just paint the picture now for for everyone mm-hmm. listening so you're south african you're living in natal are you where are you in natal yeah. i'm in westville in westville it's- um, so just in a very sort of point form um, sort of timeline um, nutshell, just tell me mm-hmm. your your sort of your timeline. So, you you know, where you're born, school, university, if not university, what, you know, first job, like just in, in a nutshell, like how would you summarize your timeline to today? Okay, I've been... I've been here in KZN my whole life. KZN is uh, for those of you guys in the States or Singapore or wherever, <laughs> Australia. Um, KZN is uh, at the coast. It's, it's on one of the it's, – it's the warmer side of the, the South African coasts, the Indian Ocean. And, um, yeah, so that's KwaZulu-Natal near Durban. Yeah. That's right. And I've literally been in the same suburb for most of my 40 years. Um, I know this community very well. I've been to the same, the schools, the same shop, church, you know, running family. Um, I've been literally in the same like suburb and it's going to be changing next year. We're actually moving up to Johannesburg. Wow. Um, so it's a humongous change. But for 40 years, I've been in the same place and which is also why that sense of community is so strong here. Um, and even if you go to the shops now, you know, if someone doesn't know me, they know my mom and that kind of family mm-hmm. feel. Yeah, sure. So I, I went to school here my whole way through school, um, up to matric. And um, I wasn't um, able to go to university. I, I worked straight out of matric. But I did want to study. So I worked and then I studied part time. I, I made it work that way um i studied at first i don't know what i wanted to do even though i did very well at school um i wanted to actually be a psychologist i think my whole 
my whole like school career and I was quite an academic A student. Yeah. But wasn't able to go to varsity. Um but I did study part time. I did things like nutrition, aromatherapy, reflexology, all these little courses that interested me at the time. Mm. Health and wellness always interested me. And then I worked at a pharmacy that was open late and after our pharmacy. So I used to study in the day and work at night there. And um, after one year of completing this course I was doing, they offered me a full-time job there. So I worked at this um, pharmacy doing accounts and medical aid for a few years and then started studying again and did a part-time business diploma over two years. And when I qualified there, I moved on to another company. So I've kind of always been an accounts self-taught in the medical field. Eventually, after that company, working at an airline, um, doing their accounts and dressing like an aerosmith every day, yeah. I moved on to another pharmaceutical company. And um, so I've always done that kind of thing, never a university with formal degree. Yeah, more courses um, and diplomas. Yes, yeah. but just sort of had to make my way through um, which is something I've always done. I've always kept learning and then kept working at the same time and um, yeah. done all sorts in between. Mm. So that's kind of up to there. And then I met my husband, sure, when I was 21 at a nightclub next door to the pharmacy where I was working. <laughs> which is why when I look back in life, no one would have guessed because I was quite a little quiet angel. And when you say the two of us met like that, back in the day Mm. um it was quite something because this club was being built while i was working there so i think things work out like they need to work out i went with one of my good girlfriends helen her and i every friday and saturday we love to dance i i didn't drink i still to this day i don't drink at all i just love music and dancing and it was my you know best way to pass the time was to go to these clubs and we used to ignore all the guys and the boys um I was like very anti-men, to be honest, at that time. I didn't trust men when I was in relationships. I made sure they ended before they were getting too serious. I just grew up thinking I'm not going to go down that route. Um, um, mm. Oh, if I can, I go on the side a little bit quickly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just from, yeah, parents being divorced. I think I grew up with I'm going to be a nun and it's just going to be me. No man's going to come near me. Yeah. Um, but yet, the night I met my husband, um, he was with a few friends. I was with my friend on the dance floor, and we just happened to be dancing next to each other, and he grabbed my hand just like that. It sounds so strange. And for the first time, I didn't, like, pull away or, like, you know, roll the eyes when a guy gave attention. And I let him hold my hand, and we literally danced hand in hand for a long time. And then at the end of, like, the song or whatever it was, we went to the leave, and he's like, you'll walk us to our car which he did with his brother and he asked for my number. And I think my friend was horrified because I actually gave him my real number, Mm. not a fake number. And it was just one of those, it just felt right. It was hilarious. And I thought he would never phone. Yeah. And the next day he phoned my mom, who's very trusting because my parents were divorced. I grew up with my mom, a single mom. And yeah, she, she let me go on a date with this boy who I'd met literally the night before. I don't know if you'd do that nowadays. Yeah. And we were together ever since. He told me that very day, I'll marry you someday. And that was a good over 20 years ago. Wow. Um, and we've been married 17 years now. So that was growing up 
and yeah, still in the same suburb, same community, and that's the little nutshell of <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, where I sit at the moment in terms of yeah, childhood and growing up. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally <laughs> makes sense. So, um, so basically, it you know from what you're saying because you keep talking about. It, it's it's interesting, right? Because you're talking about that your your life. I mean, I, I can hear the upset, you know, that you refer to with your parents. Like, I can hear. I, I heard there there was an emotional trigger there, you know, just when you when you mentioned your parents yeah. and, and that that had a big impact on you. And I'd, I'd love to hear more about that. But in general, you've had a very sheltered life, in a way, from what it sounds. Um, <laughs> I was I was giving you a a very how can I say a safe version of growing okay. up yeah um just because it was a nutshell mm-hmm. <laughs> Jane you and I would be here for the rest of the year if I even went into the details about every little thing believe me um sheltered in terms of I was lucky um and very blessed that yes you know I still uh, my parents divorced when I was about nine years old and I live with my mom and my sister and we still were very fortunate that we went to good schools here um and that type of thing it's almost the norm now you know the blended family dad for holidays with mom that kind of thing but there was a lot of trauma growing up in that kind of a a family Mm. again it's very common now but it's almost sad we it's sort of a a non-issue but to me the you know, split families, it's still a very big trauma, I think, on children. And for me, I was affected very badly. Um, and it was the trust, I think, as you're referring to, I mentioned, I joke with my husband, I wanted to be a nun. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I saw the hurt that my mom went through, you know, with, with the divorce and, um, with being unfaithful in a marriage, which is what happened in my family. I just thought I'm never going to let someone hurt me like that. And I did build a lot of walls mm. um, around myself. And um, and that's what you referred to at the, at the nightclubs, you know, where you were like, yes. you didn't, you know, you would always not let anyone get close. Also, if you were in relationships, you would stop it just before it got too close. A hundred percent because um, I, I just couldn't. And even with my husband, we joke about the longest goodbye ever because I could see after a year or so he was getting very serious. And I thought, Oh, I've got to cut this off now because I'm not going, I'm not going a step further. Mm. But, um, like I say, you, you've got to take that leap. And we, we did. And it's something I've, you know, grappled with a lot. And it's something you always work on and work through though. Um, but in terms of a, a sheltered childhood, it, it was almost, my mom was amazing in um, in how she brought us up, but I was deeply affected by being split between families, by not understanding why, you know, my father was with, you know, other people when he was with us at the time. Yeah. <laughs> other relationships. And um, I had to grow up very fast. I think um, I was protective of my younger sister and often – not that my parents, you know, had us stuck in the middle, but I often felt that, um, you know, protecting my mom when my dad was with my dad or, you know, my dad's frustrations. My dad is, and our my relationship is a very integral part of what's happened over the last, I think, few decades with me and life and how I viewed life. Mm. Um, and when I look back now, 
when I'm, I'm 40, I can understand him a lot better. And through this infertility journey, um, that relationship has kind of healed in my heart through all the things I went through as a child. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that, that just to answer, yeah, it wasn't quite sheltered. I just, <laughs> I'll take a while for you to crack this little nap open. <laughs> but then yeah. you know, there's a lot I, I could share. I've almost, um, there's nothing I haven't seen or experienced, to be honest. Nothing sh- shocks me when I hear, you know, people sharing their stories, which is, like I said, all ties into life now, which is why I'm very, the most, I don't judge people, how they deal with pain, whether it's a successful 50-year-old businessman or a teenager or someone so talk, eating ice cream on the couch. Yeah, talk to me like about I, that, about what you're saying. Nothing shocks me. There's nothing I haven't seen. What do you mean by that? Sure. Well, even, like I say, starting from something mild, like, not mild, but like the divorce, um, which had so many ripple effects on me emotionally and physically. Um, I've always joked I have butterflies in my stomach and I, I got very sick often, like during this time after my parents got divorced, physically sick, just with nerves and not feeling well. It, things for me affect me very physically when I'm emotional. Yeah. I just feel so deeply, almost to my detriment. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think like I mentioned to you, Jen, when we first connected, I was like, <laughs> yes. I'm going to need my yeah. breakfast. <laughs> and I still get nervous like that. Like, <laughs> um, but sure, just to explain, even with, if I use my dad as an example, a very successful businessman who unfortunately ended up taking his own life. Mm. So things like even suicide and depression and dealing with pain mm. is sort of been like a theme in my life growing up. And I've, I've seen it all from <laughs> adults with alcohol to to drug use, like I say, ultimately leading to depression and suicide. And it's not just something you read about. It's like my immediate family and circles I've been in. Can I I ask you to just like, just for our, you know, for our listeners, because then it, it like, it just gives them also the, the capacity to gain strength from your story. Um, Mm -hmm. Like just factually then say these things, do you know what I mean? So that they really understand because, because then I'm going to go into, into what your, uh, emotion is of things, right? And what your experiences of things and, and how you've overcome these things. But I think it's, I think it's quite, you know, now you talk about this with your dad and I mean, um, uh, you know, the drugs. And it's it's so interesting you saying this because last night, you know, I hardly ever watch TV. And then I, I turn yeah. on the TV, you know, I mean, TV, TV, right? I often watch Netflix because yeah. then I can sort of cherry pick things around my mood. But last night I thought, you know what, I'm just going to tune into television where it's, you know, let's see what comes my way. And it was all mm-hmm. about um, addiction. So it's so strange oh, yeah. now you're talking about this. And and also it's it's super crazy because I know you're an energetic person. You believe in energy. Yeah. I can hear that. So um and then also last night before I went to bed, I thought, okay, I'll just quickly check and see that I've just, you know, responded to everyone on Instagram and, you know, good, you know, lights out, go to bed. Mm-hmm. And then there was this little video. Um, I don't know if you know a woman by the name of um 
uh, Christina Northrup. Anyway, she's she's a doctor and she she's quite interesting. Actually, she's someone you should look into because she's all about mm-hmm. femininity and the power of the feminine energy. And she actually was specializing in uh, yeah childbirth and maybe even on the fertility side. I'm not sure, but childbirth and that you know women need to have natural birth and you don't need these doctors and hospitals. Like, obviously. In extreme cases, it's important, but she's an interesting person to look up. I think you would you would find her super interesting. But she was Thank talking you. about this letter that she had received from a woman who said she'd just written a book or it had just been published, but she had written the book like three years ago. And mm-hmm. it was basically a woman from New Zealand who wrote her and said that she had written a book on suicide and she never understood why she was writing this book and you know it hadn't been published and she she should she got it um sort of smoothed out and then you know reevaluated it and upgraded the version of what she had written and then yeah. within that time frame 3 years later her child committed suicide so sure. obviously she understood on an intrinsic level yeah what she was doing but not on a sort of outward level right so it's these are the two things <laughs> that I tuned into yesterday and now we're having this conversation so it's like that is that is quite something because like I said we didn't know or I didn't know what to expect from our chat or which way it's going to go because it can go so many ways sure. so it is quite something that you say that and it's we're crazy. chatting now about yeah um so well, well first I, I want to say it, like you know like yeah, I mean, that's the, the loss, just loss and full stop is, you know, it's just just one of the biggest experiences a human being has to deal with and go through in life, you know. So um, that in itself, right, is, is, is a huge feat for you to, to overcome. It is. And I, especially if that's why it touches me so much, especially this year, you know, with the virus and lockdown and how, suicide and depression is the skyrocketed and um it's something that's very close to to my heart because i've experienced it and every story is different and i i know that too and deep down how so many people you know they're trying to satisfy their like deepest desire with like substances whatever it is um that's a pattern i see you know whether it is the drugs alcohol food exercise you know relationships um and how you they never fill that void that they're seeking and like i said i I see it now looking back at my own father who at the time i didn't understand why he did what he did um i I wasn't in the frame of mind that i am now with you know an extra another decade and a half of experience from life Mm. but um i know i spoke at his funeral and i i was just said to this whole hall of top business, you know, businessmen, you know, like you can have all the wealth and fame in the world, but, you know, for me, my faith is huge, you know, having God or for whatever everyone believes in something bigger than us here. And, you know, you have to have, you have to have that to fill that void. Nothing's going to satisfy. And I can't even remember what I said, but afterwards, a whole lot of these like I say, prestigious businessmen would come up to me, um, you know, and just say, thank you. And you never know the seeds that you've planted there. Um, but like I say, I didn't understand at the time, but going through my infertility journey, um, I did unfortunately 
um, miscarried with twins. And mm. um, at that point, I was at my lowest point ever. I remember literally on my bathroom floor <laughs> on the cold tiles, just bleeding. And it was like God literally used that moment in my life to to almost get that peace about understanding how my dad did what he did because in that moment I was also feeling so low like life couldn't get any worse you can't go on you don't have the strength that's how I felt at the time and I finally in that moment had that absolute clarity and peace and almost forgave my dad if that makes sense yeah for what he did yeah um because I actually that's why I have such a heart for people in like depression or whatever state they find themselves in because I actually went there myself. I was like, I can't, I can't go and I don't see the point. And like I say, for me, my saving grace is literally my faith in God because I believe that there's something more than just this here mm. that I'm experiencing. Um, but that was a deep hole and it took me many years to get out of. But it was in that moment, I never will forget that I was like, I get it, Dad. You know, and, and I love you all the same and I absolutely forgive you and I was able to move on in a, a different way move through that. Um, it's never completely behind you, but you learn how to move forward, if I can yeah. say that. Yeah. And it's through my dad's experiences. Like I say, oh, you know, we judge people so much and there's nothing that makes me more mad when I see people judging and just not being kind. Mm -hmm. And people, and it's all the same. We, we say like, I read somewhere once about we compare things like the suffering Olympics, like, oh, but this is worse than you and you worse, but it's, it's real for you, whatever you're going through at the time. It's, it's big for you and it's important and you, it doesn't make it any less, like, less terrible because the person next to you has got something you think worse happening. And we all cope differently. And that's where I've got a lot of different friends and groups of people I've met along this journey of mine doing something extravagant every year um, to get over the pain because I relate to so many people through painful experiences. Like I joked, my, you know, my friend who drinks too much wine at the end of the day to wind down is exactly the same as someone else who's, to me, it's the same, I should say. I, I should yeah. make a sweet statement. To someone who's snorting cocaine next door, it's, it's, in my mind, it's like, why wouldn't you be doing it? Because that's what I've tried to explain to my husband. He knows. We always joke. He he grew up. He's more naive, like a farm boy. I always joke with him. Where I'm, you know, much more worldly and the experience of pain and going through things. So he's like, why would someone, you know, want to end their life or do drugs or you know numb themselves? And I'm like, why wouldn't they? Like, yeah, that is hard. And like, it doesn't shock me. Like, like I say, if you're drinking too much wine or you, you know, you're running too much or you gossiping and drinking coffee as your fix every, <laughs> every afternoon or whatever it is to, you know, help you cope, it's all like the same. So I don't judge people. And I think we need to, I don't know, just be more compassionate and have empathy. Like, um, mm. because life is hard and it, it Sure, I'm so passionate about that. I really am, yeah. which is why my story, like I say, I'm very open about stuff and I admit I have bad days still, like even with the infertility. I haven't arrived at a place to say, okay, I'll never cry again when a friend tells me she's pregnant and I'll always be fine that I, 
you know, can't carry my own children. And if you do have bad days, um, obviously you've got to move forward. But um, and the, the sad times get shorter. That's what I noticed. Like I won't take a whole week after someone announces they're pregnant to get over it. Yeah. Uh, but I'll let myself have that moment. I've also noticed that a fault of mine maybe was like I contain myself very well. You'll yeah. never guess that I'm suffering. Mm. But you've got to let yourself, you know, cry that ugly <laughs> look in the bathroom mirror and then cry harder kind of cry. Mm. And I too will turn to things that aren't always the best way of coping. Um, For example? So I've got my faith. Um or like I, I joke with someone, um, oh, like if I can't sleep, I'm like, I also feel like something, a quick soothing, like I love peanut butter and I love it for all the right reasons. But sometimes when I'm sad, like with anyone, well, anyone, a lot of us ladies, like I'll be emotional and I'll eat like, like way too much peanut butter and then I just feel nauseous and sick. And then I'm like, oh, well, at least I can go lie down and then I'll fall asleep. And I used to often do that. And as I've, the years have gone. Like, but do you say that from a like? Is that is that in a in an eating uncontrollable way or? No, not not to the extreme, but just like you you find something that in the moment you just want to have a quick feel better. Sure, of. sure. Like I mean, I you know I, I I will sometimes just go and grab that Hagen dazs out the deep freeze. Think if, if my husband hasn't <laughs> got there first. <laughs> Yes, and I'll uh, just go and attack that double double dark chocolate Hagen dazs <laughs> Well, a hundred percent. Like I'm famous besides the infertility for my love of peanut butter, and I generally I've grown up on it, and I love it. I even collect the lids off the jars still. I think I've got like a hundred peanut butter lids. No way, um, seriously. I seriously, even today, I don't like use sauces. I put it on everything, sweet or savory. I just, it's it's almost like a. a fashion trend thing it used to be in the fitness industry that I belong to like peanut butter but I genuinely have grown up with peanut butter sandwiches every day I put it in my oats I put it on my potatoes I put it on chicken or whatever oh my god so this is not uh this is not a a product placement uh question but is it the black cat traditional South African or which one is it yeah, I must say it is the black cat lid that I collect and when it became more health conscious it's the yellow lid because it's the no salt, no sugar. So then I justified myself. <laughs> um, it's so funny because, I mean, I've lived out of South Africa for like over 20 years now, right? But, I mean, you just can't forget the black cat. What was the advert again of black cat? Oh, I know. Oh, there was that funny man on the beach at one stage with like They had their slogan. Board. Black Cat had their slogan. Anyway, guys, this is just a peanut butter brand. We all have our <laughs> local brands that, you know, we have these childhood connections with. And Black uh, Cat is definitely one of them. And I'm very loyal. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell me everything. something. So, uh, what do you do yeah. with these lids? At the moment, they are just sitting in tins. And for another South African thing, in a big Omar Rusk tin, I've got an original old tin that Rusks came in. So I've got like two or three of these huge tins and the lids are just all sitting in yeah. there. And and again, so, for everyone listening who don't know what Rusks oh. are, so, so, the, oh, so yeah. just like, so Rusks actually have a very interesting story, right? Rusks come from uh, back in the, the great trek era of of south africa so you know when all the dutch and the and the and the portuguese and the french and the british all came over to to south africa they would go across the lands and they didn't know how far they would have to travel on on wagon and ox and 
they came up with then that's when they came up with this recipe of the rusk which is like a a very dry biscuit um, Mm -hmm. because it would carry for so long without getting moldy or damp or or or, um yeah or you know disintegrate so that's what the rusk is and that's actually where where the rusk comes from interesting i love rusks no yeah they are a definite staple Um, so that's where the lids are at the moment. In your rusk um, tin, rusk jar. There we are, proudly South African. <laughs> so so listen, like I said, that was, yeah. Tell me, tell me about, you know, the infertility journey. Like just, can, can I have a, a bit of a clearer understanding of this in terms of 100%. when you started trying for children and then uh, the miscarriage itself, like uh, um, just in terms of, how far down the line you were just so people can you know and, and certainly also other moms you know who are listening or not moms yet but 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 families parents who um who want to fall pregnant and you know sometimes even people fall pregnant and then they can't fall pregnant again you know so yeah. it's, everyone has as you say everyone has their own journey and their own story and one needs to you know just have a sense of compassion for that everyone's journey at that moment is their own story and it you know, it deserves the sensitivity in its own unique way, right? It's There's no comparison here. Yes, I, I totally agree, Jen. And that has been sort of the heart of my whole story has been the infertility. Everything has stemmed out of that. I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that I'd be this person now, you know, almost an advocate for all these different things in my life. It's certainly not how I plan. Um, and when we got married, we were young and we thought, you know, we just wanted to have, we both loved children. We wanted to have children straight away. Um, and we lived in a very humble, you know, small flat, but that was never an issue. I'm like, Oh, we can have a couple of children running around here. We'd be happy. Um, and it was after a year of trying and nothing happening that we then decided we'd have to look into it a bit further. And being someone, um, who doesn't really like to, taking medicine or anything like that. I'm very sort of natural and let the body sort of sort itself out and don't make a fuss, which down the line has <laughs> been to my detriment almost. Um, which is ironic considering it, you worked in pharmaceutical companies. I know. <laughs> and pharmacies. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Believe me, I used to try to convince them to have their honey, ginger, lemon, you really need this stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is, I've got such an interest yeah, in that side of things. But I thought, well, I'm not going to, you know, go to a doctor straight away. Let's try all natural remedies. And oh, you read about everything from eat more spinach to don't stress to, you know, take these little sugar pills. So we tried all these little things first. Um, and eventually we ended up going to a, a natural doctor who did um, acupuncture and life therapy. And he had all his like homeopathic things. And we were with him for almost a whole year, having needles put in us where you don't want needles, um, the acupuncture needles. And, and your husband as well or just in you? <laughs> yes, you see, they taught us um, that it's not just the lady who has to have treatment. And my husband literally almost passes out when he has to have a needle in him for blood. Yeah. And yes, he had to join me on, on just especially the acupuncture at first too. Because down the line, at first we thought it was just, it was just me. I wasn't ovulating. I've got polycystic ovaries, not the syndrome that comes with 
you know, there's insulin imbalance and all of that, but I wasn't ovulating and that was my problem. Mm. Um, but then down the line, we also learned because men have to be tested. Um, and my husband also had issues on his side. So together the doctor was like, gosh, what a pair, you know, we both, um, would battle. So it was a double whammy, but for me, at least it took a little bit of pressure off myself that it wasn't just me. Although I did carry, um, and still carry that. So I'm just um, like, I'm really curious, like, where did you have acupuncture? Just tell me where, like, how does this work? Where we had it done. No, like, where did they, how, what did they do? Where they put, it was the first time I'd ever had acupuncture needles. They literally put it in your groin area and around your ovaries, like for ladies and for men, because that's, that's where most of the energy that they try release and blockages happen. And then in other little pressure points, like around your body, that would relate to that. Okay, cool, cool. Uh, but it's all around, yeah, so it's all around for women, the reproductive area on the surface. Uh, Sorry, but I mean, my imagination's crazy. You're saying you don't oh, even no, know what it is. So I'm, I'm thinking, oh my God, I, tell me it's not there. Is it there or is it? <laughs> I don't know where? how much I must say. <laughs> I don't know how much. <laughs> because I used to be very shy. And after this, I was like, if I've, you know, got to give birth one day, I'll be like, oh, no problem. Everyone can come into the room. Like, and I went to that extreme. Even though it was hard, you literally get used to having your legs up in stirrups sure. during this infertility nonsense. Um, and we did all that. And we had a bit of success. I had a bit of a regular cycle that did come about. Um, but then, like I say, they found out my husband had issues. So when I came right, like, it still wasn't working because of the, the sperm issues on my husband's side. Yeah. And so the doctor eventually had to say, we're going to have to go now, you know, to a medical doctor and try more invasive therapy because there's nothing more they can do, you know, to get us both in sync. And I ended up now going to a, um, a doctor, a, a proper specialist, um, and he had suggested that we do our Clomid, which is an ovulation drug at first, and I was on these Clomid pills. The highest you could go, my body was very resistant with all things that have happened in my life, I'm either all or nothing with my body and mm. always an experiment for the doctors to have fun with. Um, and unfortunately, they, you know, they upped the dose as high. It was almost dangerously high and still my body wasn't responding. So the doctor decided we'd have to try artificial insemination, which is basically putting the sperm, you know, into the egg at the right time of the month into yeah. your body, inserting it in there. And, um, but your husband's also, sperm, right? Would they have to then, that's right. like the traditional, your husband, well, it, I say traditional, like, and, and actually I have heard this before, but I mean, literally, like, you, you're going to, I mean, would he have to go ejaculate in a jar and then that would come via yes. uh, an insertion into your ovary, which was inside your, your tubes? Yes. Yeah. A hundred percent. Okay. So, it was, it's quite an experience to go through together. And like I say, it's a lot more mainstream now. I mean, it's on TV programs and everything, but you know, it was a lot more subdued back then. And we also weren't sharing this with people. And so when is back quite, then? When? You say back <laughs> this then. This is about 15 years ago, maybe. <laughs> so 50, so that's when, cause you got married 17 years ago. And then, so basically then, okay, so two years after your marriage, you thought, no, you're going to go down this route because nothing was happening. That's right. So it wasn't that long ago, but yeah, when we were one of the first also to get married, you know, in our group of friends. So, you know, it was, 
sort of, you know, no one else in our circles, certainly that we knew of going through this. Yeah. Um, but it's a much later now in life up to just last week. I still have, you know, girls and couples that will come and chat to me about it. And you realize now that actually it's so much more commonplace than you think. But sure. people are still not wanting everyone to know that they have problems because I respect that it is a private thing to go through. And hence, at the time, I didn't want everyone knowing. I was still very shy and would never speak mm-hmm. about anything. This was before Debbie came out of herself. Yeah. But, so when, um, you, when you talk about people come to me, so just so I have a framework of, of Debbie, yeah. uh, what are you doing right now? Are you providing sort of conversation therapy or what are you actually doing now then in terms of your it is it is very informal like I said I don't have any formal training it's just literally you know word of mouth that over the last sure because the last treatment we ended up doing just the backtrack was about 2008 so it's been you know over a decade now that I've sort of moved forward if I can say that and um, part of that journey is sharing with people who just want to talk to someone who understands, you know, what it is to go through this. Mm. And it's not only friends, it's friends of friends. And like you said in the beginning, even people trying to have a second child, which is very common at secondary infertility. The last two weeks I've had two friends come to me with that issue and they just they just want to stop cry and nobody else other than their husband, you know, or perhaps mom knows what they're going through, but they feel like safe with me, which is such a well it's such a privilege because it helps me heal that's how I've healed is getting my mind with myself and helping others and that's the reason why I share everything very openly because as you do that other people feel safe and I still have all the time whenever I think this infertility story is behind me somehow it comes back and I realize it's always going to be it's always going to be there. I can never totally, you know, put it in a little box and put it away. There yeah. are other people who, who need to hear it. Um, and like I say, I still have my bad days. I'm a hundred percent fine. And then last year when I turned 40, I was like, wow, it's, you know, this little miracle, you know, that you sometimes think, well, maybe it's going to happen. You know, I'm like, it's definitely, you know, now it's 40, you know, before this 55, you think it's, <laughs> Maybe it's it's too late, and we have moved on in a different way. I I don't expect to be pregnant at all. Um, it's physically not really possible, but you still have those days when <laughs> you've had too much peanut butter, you bloated, and then I look at myself in the mirror. I'm like, hmm, I wonder. Yeah. And I just joke with myself. But yes, it's a very informal. But I literally have people who email me because I'm very open like that. Email and WhatsApp and. You know, social media is incredible. And um, just through, I had at the time, I'll go back to finishing my fertility story. Sorry if I dive, go it's digress. Cool. It's cool. It's cool. I did put together a little, like a memoir of emails and poems and journals I used to write in a little book. I think it was about year three after we stopped trying for children. That was my one thing I did that year was mm. to make this book and this little book that was meant to be just for me I ended up printing about 200 copies and it went out to so many people and they'll still come to me and say I just read your little book and do you mind if I come and chat and so that's how the story it just continues um like I say up to last week I couldn't believe it when like two people who I've never chatted to before it's you know there's there's always going to be that need whether it's this or it's something else, and I'm mm. always open to that. And it's there's nothing better than, 
hearing and helping people in this way, like using my experience um, in that way. So, so that's how I chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, and but do you charge to for people to come talk to no. you? Okay. Ooh, no. <laughs> yeah. No. No, not for this, not for in general in life. My husband's like, Oh, you're a very bad salesperson. No, if anything, it's I go the other extreme. I'm like, When I printed my little book, um, we I did it on online website in, in America, and I think it cost 120 rand and our rand value when you change the exchange rate. Mm. Um, and I'll still, my husband's like, If someone wants a book, we must just cover the little cost. And I'm like, but They're going through such a bad time. and if they come, they'll get like, here's the book and some, you know. What's the name of the book, Debbie? It's <laughs> my motto. Well, Pain to Purpose is my motto, but I call it the book Whole Pieces. Sorry? Whole whole Pieces. <laughs> As in W-H-O-L-E. W-H-O-L-E, Pieces. Just because it's all like little pieces of my life, yeah. but it made the whole. And it was literally just something that was meant to be just for me. It's It's it was done, like I say, on a little template on the computer, a self-published little thing you could do. Um, if I had known that it would go out there, I would have done it very differently. Um, you yeah, but you say stuff. that, but maybe you wouldn't have done it at all. Do you know what I well, mean? Well, there we are. So You're true. You, you did what you me. did. Yeah. It's quirky. It was like, dear reader, I'm, I'm writing a forward because I know this is what authors do. Um, and I used to like, it literally was like that. And yeah. you had to have a high resolution picture. And the only picture I owned that was professional at the time was like our wedding one. So on went like the wedding pictures on the book and you had to have 80 pages to get your title, you know, on the spine of the book. And I didn't have 80 pages. So I had just left blank pages at the end and I said, your notes, your notes, like silly things like that to fill it up. So just um, tell me, who, who who did you publish it through? What was the process with it? It was called, it was Blurb. They asked, it was in an online like printing um, facility. They are still around and I think probably very well known and formal now, but it was Blurb was the name. Yeah. Um, and it was, I used to write a lot. I mean, and burn my journals often. When they were finished, I used to throw them away as a young young adult and young teen because my thoughts were always very dark. I thought, I don't ever want anyone reading this. Oh, my I think gosh. I in primary school, I used to keep a journal. I still remember. It was green with a real little lock and key like you'd get. You know, when you're 10 and you get this sure, cute little journal. Sure. And I used to write in there, but it used to be things, I think at the time, like any – you know, teen young right. primary school. It was like, you know, so-and-so doesn't like me and this one got a Valentine's and I didn't like that kind of thing. But I was still very protective of it, I think. Mm. And I used to cheer them up. And then eventually I, I used to write poems. And it's quite funny how the writing has come back now later in life going through this. But I found like poems that I wrote, you know, when I was 14 or 15, I think. And it's one of the poems I put in the book. And even back then, it used to fascinate me that, I guess I could say this, like the menstrual cycle that I used to lose half of a potential child every like month, you know, as. Say as, that again. As, you lost me there. <laughs> you, yeah. I wrote a, a poem about, um, you know, when you have your menstrual cycle and every month and you'll, you've got an egg that's not fertilized. And that's how deep my thoughts were as a young teen that I was losing like a potential half child every month because 
you know, that's just how the body works. And you mean because then you, you, you know, as a woman, then you bleed and that's what you're yes. s- s- saying that you're losing the children by bleeding. Yes. It, it used to obviously bug me. I think I was 15 when I, I wrote a poem about it mm. and I found, found that in my notes because it was ripped out the journal. I never threw it away. And it was a few of these things, journals and poems and emails that I thought, let me just tap into this. Yeah, you know, online book and put together this little book, which is what I did. Because so, I so just strategically like, blurb, so, mm-hmm. so that I just finished that that understanding. So it's it's basically a website, and you just go in and you you write or you you upload your content onto the upload section, and then they print out this book for you. Yes, and that's is, how it, it works. is it is it print on demand, or did you just print straight up a whole bunch of books? Um, I only printed one at the time because okay. I literally only printed one for myself. Yeah. And like I said, this was 10 years ago. Okay. I know they are still around, so things could have changed. I wrote this, put this together about 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, but yes, you could just print one and it was obviously, I think, cheaper if you did more because you had to pay postage as well um, from America to yeah. here, South Africa. But yes, it was literally like that. You just inserted very basic, your own pictures and yeah. pages and um and, then and so, so, so this book was printed and then they sent it over to you in South Africa and then what mm-hmm. happened one book and then yes one little book it, it looked quite lovely I had the cheapest yellow jotter paper yeah. pages which I then changed to white <laughs> and then I did I eventually I shared it with I think it was my mom and my sister and and they now obviously they wanted their own copy mm. um and it was just through from there that one or two people you know would say oh Debbie that you know what a lovely idea and I wouldn't mind a copy you know and then I did I think I did 50 books and I just would charge people the cost price to cover the you know the cost of the book and they ended up passing it. That's how well I had opened up by then because I had shared our news and this was after the journey and it was just that this little book became something that people related to a lot. It's the one way of communicating the story. And um, like I say, it, in the end, I know I did 200 of them. And I think I did another 50 about two or three years ago um, through a friend here locally to print some. Because it just it's something that, like I say, just keeps coming up in a few little very simple words on paper um was just what introduced a lot of people i think maybe to me and to my head and my mind um because going back to the doctor after we did the artificial insemination and that failed the last resort was to do in vitro fertilization which most people know now ivf and at the time i it's something i only sort of had seen on the news or read you know in a magazine I couldn't believe that we would have to now go through this. And it's a huge physical and financial commitment um, that we began that journey. And we ended up saying, we'll just be one cycle. We couldn't afford anymore, which is in the end, one of the reasons we also had to stop. Um, You have to be realistic. It does cost a lot of money. And we were just um, not in the position and never were, you know, after that to just keep going year after year. It's just, it's too much. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, so I'm very realistic like that. It, it wasn't on the cards for us, but we did say we'd do one cycle. And with the IVF, when you are stimulated, they can't guarantee how many eggs you would have 
and how many were fertilized to make embryos. And in the end, we ended up having extra embryos in that they don't implant really. They don't want to do more than one or two in general. But that because I was such a high-risk person, they said they'd go up to three embryos. Why were you so high-risk? What do you mean by that? In that um, we, my body was so resilient and we had tried almost everything. And even during the IVF cycle, I was on the highest dosage of drugs they could give you to try stimulate like the egg production. And with my husband having issues on his side, it was just, we were just, you know, the stats and the, were just against us. Basically, I think it mm. was, you know, the chances were very low um, of being successful. So um, we had in the end an extra two embryos and then you have to make the decision whether you're going to freeze them or destroy them. So it's a very big decision. And, and freezing them would also cost money, I imagine. It did. At the time, I think in South African Rand, it was 10,000 Rand just to freeze them. Which is um, around about, well, the exchange rate is always touch and go now, especially at the moment it's not so great. But, I mean, you could you could just say – on average, when South Africa is not in such a bad place financially or economically, should I say, uh, it could be like the equivalent of $1,000, basically, to freeze them. And that was like a decade ago. So yeah. <laughs> um, it was a huge thing, but um, I didn't want to destroy them. And we we did freeze our two extra embryos at the time, and they implanted the three that we had. But it, it's such an experience um, – like say they have to grow to a certain you know stage and it's up to the doctor when they put them back inside of you um they go to day one two three as the cells divide um and we had the best embryos they were a grade it was incredible we were like very proud parents from so- the beginning <laughs> sounds like <laughs> a grade it sounds like me choosing my biological eggs in the supermarket you know which one are you going to take like <laughs> the one the two or the three or the zero the zeros are the best because those are the ones that you know are absolutely pure and from a great source but it's so funny how you say my yeah. a, gr- a grade yeah. <laughs> no we were so because they rate like they score them almost and we had like the best healthiest and I was like after all these years and it had been years by now and so many treatments and this was the last our last hope um we were so excited and we were just positive from the beginning that you know everything's going fine um and we still obviously hadn't told anyone during the stage and you have to you know inject yourself to stimulate yourself every day it was an injection I inject myself in the in the stomach and and one in the bum and I couldn't reach my bum properly but my husband was so scared of needles he couldn't do it so I had to literally go in every day just so the nurse could stab me in the backside yeah because like I couldn't do it at home um and we had the little purple bag that carried all the needles and all the drugs which we still have today but it's in the garage with like tools in it now but we still joke about the little purple bag if we were ever stopped, you know, at a traffic robot or something. We've got all these syringes and needles. And yeah. because of no one knew about it, you know, if the, it was my time to inject myself. And I remember once we were out with family at lunch and then I had to just excuse myself, go to the bathroom, you know, whip out the, the drugs and then go back. And then, you know, it was, yeah. Pretend, t- pretend nothing had happened. A tough time, yes. Or you just you're, you're feeling all emotional. Or you feel a bit sick as you do at times. And, why? Why you know, do you think? Why do you think women on this journey and 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 use your own example? Because I mean, this is this is a you you are mirroring for a lot of women here, where you talk about it being a secret and. 
there's almost like a sense of shame in a way that I can't fall pregnant, but you can, you know, like why, why do you think even going deeper than, than saying just like a sense of shame or there's something wrong with me or like, why do you think you felt you were keeping it a secret? Like what was your emotion, like deep sense of connection Mm -hmm. with yourself at the time? Sure. Lots of food for thought there. My my instinct with me first is um you just you want to portray that like everything's always okay and you're always coping with life and that um that's on the emotional side, which I've since learned it's okay not to be okay all the time. And for me I felt like my body had failed. So like you're saying with that shame, like as a woman I felt like an absolute failure because it's not functioning like it should. And it's something that should come so natural and does to a lot of people. Um, and so I had that side, but also I think growing up from, for me personally, I, I felt like if I wasn't perfect, you know, I had to earn love and, and be the best I could be. And, and I know deep down, um, I didn't want to share it because it was something that it was like another flaw, another failure, you know, and I was going to be maybe less loved now. I even doubted my own husband's love for me because I, I couldn't produce this and give him this. And same with everyone else. Um, but I yet so you knew it was out. also his, it was also his baby to, to, to yes. deal with, right? It was also, I say baby in a meta, but I mean, it was also his weight to carry as what you've 100%. explained. Yes, no, it absolutely was. But I think I've also, for me personally, I've got that protective nature that I, and I still do it now. I don't want to, I always say, I don't want to be a burden. I want to like protect like him as much as I could and carry the weight myself. Um, as I did growing up as well, I think I would often want to do that, like with my sister and with this, like not sharing it with people. It's, I, I also felt I don't want them to all feel burdened now to feel sorry for me. And it's something I still deal with now. I don't want you to, to burden you and make your life harder because now you're going to look at me differently or pity. And it's something that I don't enjoy at all. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of mm-hmm. taught people to have empathy, but don't feel sorry. Like, don't, don't feel sorry for yeah. me. But I, I don't want to be that person that's treated differently or. I even say to my friends now, don't walk on eggshells around me. So I'd rather like not share, not have all that extra stuff that like I personally carry and then I'm projecting onto you. Sure. Um, but I'm still learning, you know, I love receiving that from people. But again, it's been to my detriment. I need to learn it's okay that I also can, you know, share it and let someone carry, carry it with me. Um, but yeah, it's just also, like I say, that whole, back then especially you want it all to look perfect and you know we've got the perfect family and don't look at me differently or judge me because people are very quick uh, I learned growing up and to judge you like the minute you say you can't have kids they're like the first thing people said when we opened up was oh but that's because you're such a stressed little girl you know and you Mm. need to relax more or you need to do this and you say the way you say that it sounds like (laughs) it's it's an older person saying that to you when I say little girl, yeah. <laughs> yes, no, a lot of very well-meaning neighborhood, you know, um, like the mothers of, you know, my friends and I would often say that. Um, okay. And it is the joy of also being in a small community. <laughs> you do sort of start being compared with everyone 
And then at the time, um, you know, more friends were married and everyone's having children and mm. there's no set rules. That's what I've learned, whether it's with illness or emotions or a nutrition for that matter. That's another huge passion of mine. Like with the suicide is like, there's no one size fits all just because this works for you. It won't work for someone else. And no one lets that sink in. And it's very, people Can don't I realize just, that. Did you just say? Yeah. That's a big nutrition. You said nutrition as well. That's a big passion of mine because of the suicide. What did yes. you say? Did you say oh, that? I mean, <laughs> that's a, it's a passion of mine. Like, like the suicide is a passion of mine and helping people in that regard. Okay. Trying to get people to understand that um, everyone is so unique in, in everything mm. that you, we must be careful about those sweeping statements that actually can be quite hurtful without you realizing yeah. it's like, if you went, to, like I was often told, if you, you know, if you just go to Mauritius for a week's holiday, it will do you so much good. And as much as that can be true in, you know, we Mauritius like is, in, uh, is just for everyone listening. It's an island uh, off the coast of South Africa. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, a very are. nice island. <laughs> you want to yeah. go there. <laughs> Absolutely. It will definitely so, do some good, but it's not going to make you fall pregnant, right, Debbie? No, not if you, if that's maybe if you've got unexplained circumstances and obviously stress is a huge factor, but you know, when it's a physical thing, uh, you know, or eat the spinach and, you just get all those opinions. Um, and even the children question, I've like told people, you know, you don't realize people just need to be a little bit more like empathetic and, you know, like knowledgeable. And I've taught a lot of my friends that like it's sometimes hurtful for people to, you know, hear that question if you ask straight away. And we need to be a little bit more sensitive. Like when are the children coming or just have mine for the weekend and it'll put you off for life, you know, or, and, all these comments but I think, that can- you know, I think in the same breath, um, mm-hmm. one needs to also have, uh, and and hear me out here and tell me what you think, but surely one also needs to have the same empathy for the person asking the silly question because they haven't walked your journey. Do you know what I mean? They don't know. So, the you know, also, you know, in a way it's like uh, – likewise not judging them as harshly for asking such a stupid question or for saying you know go to Mauritius it'll it'll do every you know because they haven't walked your path so it kind of in a way works both ways and and I'm saying it from an empowering point of view to give I I agree with you 100% and I do um I totally understand that and that's why I say I like to like educate people because they everyone means well I don't think anyone's mean spirited when they say that in the slightest um and I say that to people often too with their situations without realizing it people who aren't married or there's so many situations that mirror this one you know like you're lucky you don't have you know extra washing to do but that's not fair because they want in companionship we all have to just you know give each other slack and a hundred percent agree it's hard for them too um and they appreciate like i say just to um open that conversation and let them know um what is wrong that's why i believe in being so real and raw it's just easier in the end it's often worse when you're pretending and hiding you can at least say to someone actually this is what's wrong exactly Um, and this is why we're in the situation and that just clears it all up so a hundred percent have empathy whether even today I still have people saying you just got to keep the faith you know you know and then you know it will still happen and 
you know, maybe in your mind, we all human, I'll, I'll say something and my eyes will be rolling, but I'll say to them and I do mean it, you know, mm. thank you so much. And I appreciate that they're caring, you know, and then I'll just gently correct them and let explain what the situation is. Yeah. But so, um, so this is now, I mean, you, you like, creating clarity on the on the fertility journey so th- this is now a while ago uh, what year was this and it was i know it was two years after you got married it was a 2000 end yes our last one we did was 2008 okay um, 2008. we ended up doing it yes uh, the rvf when we repeated it but okay. this um yeah this one going back to um we had the embryos inserted that were our a grade before we yeah. lost <laughs> And um, we then you have a two-week waiting period, and then you do a pregnancy test, and um, we were pregnant, and um, it was incredible, and we had a little photograph of the scan, and we put it in the frame by our bed, um, and we kept positive. We thought if we're going to do this, then we're going to do it like everything's going to go well and not be negative, and we, we named them Specs, and we used to talk to them every day, and I went for my checkup I think it was like after a month um four weeks or whatever it was although they a bit older because they've grown now outside the womb as such before they put them back in so it's about five weeks had the scan and I'd lost one of the embryos but I had two we had twins and saw the perfect little sacs and everything was was going well and we carried on for another week or two and it was towards the two-month mark that the one evening I just started getting the cramps and I thought, oh, goodness, I just, in my mind, I knew this wasn't a good sign. And I started bleeding and it was close to midnight, I think. And we called the doctor, um, called the hospital and said, you know, what are we to do? And they wanted us to come straight into the hospital. So, yeah, we had to, we sped there with lights going, like I say, our sense of humor with my husband. He's like, we'll be an ambulance and we can drop, you know, go through all the red robots and he'll put his hazards on and off we went. Um, and to again, my local hospital went in there crying, explaining what's happening. Um, and they phoned the doctor and I remember feeling like, Oh my gosh, it's midnight. Shame. We're going to wake him. We shouldn't wake him. That was how my mind still operated again, not wanting to put someone out, even in one of the worst situations of my life. Um, that we're going to wake my own doctor. I don't, I remember writing that down and it, it bugged me even. Um, but of course there was nothing they could do at that stage. My body was just, um, rejecting the embryos for whatever reason. And we had to actually go home. They didn't even say we had to stay overnight. I think I had the nurse and reception lady were even crying for us. They just sort of let us sign out and leave. I don't think they even charged us for the brief time we had to go in and out of that theater room and I came home and that's when I had my moments on the bathroom floor because I just had to let my body do what it was doing. And it was at that time where I had that moment about clarity and depression because I just couldn't believe that there was nothing I could do um, to control or stop this happening. And my body not to get too graphic to just did such an incredible job of expelling everything I didn't have to go to the hospital for a DNC when I went for a checkup, you know, after this, basically, I'm sure most people may understand, but, you know, to clear out the womb and whatever's left after a miscarriage, um, I didn't have to have, you know, anything extensively done because I had such strong contractions and such 
such a an evening of of <laughs> sorry of losing um the embryos that sure my body had just sort of self regulated itself and it was just one of the most crazy surreal experiences of my life yeah um so <laughs> sorry <laughs> um and after that um I had that moment and we had um again perhaps didn't process it like all that well at the time and you just want to keep going when you're in that moment and the doctor said we've got the frozen ones and when my body's you know had time and we're ready we can try with the frozen embryos again which is what we did um and we ended up doing that round of IVF and just one more and both ended unfortunately the same way um and I'm, I'm miscarried again and that's when we kind of decided that was 2008 was our last try and it was just it was too much like I can say financially realistically we couldn't carry on but I also felt I remember saying even if we were sponsored emotionally and physically it was just we had done we had done all we could we were at peace that you know now it's a hundred percent of it happens it's a miracle it's in God's hands but we weren't actively going to now pursue anything further yeah. and also financially um, yeah a hundred percent it was just yeah we couldn't do it um so sure it was a very something very hard to come to terms with like I say I went through that very deep depression myself um but it, but it after did you go through that depression because you spoke about the enlightenment on the floor when mm -hmm. you were miscarrying, right? Did you go through then yeah. a depression after that? I, I was because we had to – letting go for me was very hard to to know that we were going to do nothing now. Oh, so you went through the depression when you made the decision you weren't going to invest any uh, sort of doctor's bills anymore into the process, right? That's when it, – That elongated, I think – the depression that had started with the first miscarriage. Okay. That whole, I think that whole back chapter was just a very dark, hard time. Yeah. And it, it lingered there. And then a second wave, that's what I've kind of learned. It's never like, you never completely arrive at any moment that you figured all this stuff out in life. Because yeah. I still, like I say, you still have those days, even today, where I'm like, I get thrown by a pregnancy announcement. I'm like, why am I so down and like physically in my heart when I'm hearing this news because I still mourn for the fact that I have empty heart, you know, empty arms and it shattered dreams that you never 100% get over. Um, but you are able and I've learned and it's taken a long time and I'm still learning that maturity of, but I see the good in it and you use it and it's not wasted and you embrace other things. And that's where eventually out of this dark pit of depression after losing like the babies and realizing we can't do anything about it especially someone who had grown up feeling you know if I if I do it all right and if I have to be in control and now you had to have all these unanswered questions and just you know let it be and like I say it's something that it humbles me because I'm I still have to learn and embrace that kind of thing every day yeah. I, I've never going to get it right tell <laughs> um, me but that yeah. Why? Tell me why you want a child. Sure. Well, back all the way back then, um, and even now. No, now, like, or, or do you do you still want a child now? We've reached. 
like I say, it, it's in my in my heart. Although we've reached such a place where I'm finally at peace, I can say that totally honestly. A, a few years ago in this journey, both my husband and I were at peace. That if it's him and I, that's okay. And to feel like a complete person without it, without a child. I know for me, it's it's like an identity thing. I think at the time, I can. I'm not speaking for everyone, but it was like. I did feel very, um, like nurturing in my heart that I, I wanted children, like of my own. We even joked, my husband and I wanted, you know, to see what we would look like together and what, what our incredibly different personalities, you know, would gel and make. And to us, that was so, like, so precious and exciting and something we didn't take for granted. And, um, I, like I say, I love to love and take care of people and and children was just an absolute I think dream growing up um like I don't want to say stereotype but it was and I had that deep in my heart that I really wanted a child and with my husband and it was just an extension of our of our love that way and like I said with City we even the whole DNA thing to us was so exciting and it always fascinated like fascinated me and I still it's not I can't explain. I just, I wanted to be pregnant and, you know, carry a child inside. And I find mm. it a miracle that it, something like a human can grow in you. And like I say, from young, I was writing poems about these things. I think it's always just been such a miracle to me. And I was just, oh, I can't explain. I, I just wanted that to be part of like the love that we had and shared. Um, and it's been a process to learn that we are enough. And we are a family of two. And that's something that um, I've also felt passionately about, you know, and no matter what your family looks like, a family is, you know, a family. It's, it's the love and that connection. But um, as, a, as a lady, I think in the beginning, it might have also been attached to identity. And um, I've gone through various stages in my life and I think that goes back to the craving and the void and why I have a passion for people like that. Like, what is your identity wrapped in? Like, if I'm not going to be a mom, am I less of a woman? You know, and when I can't run, like, I know I started all these things possibly for the wrong reasons at first. Um, like when I would what? delve into something. Like what? Well, ex to cope, I didn't like start when I say like, when I started perhaps the running or I used to act in plays every year to do something to get my mind off not being pregnant. When I started that whole journey, a whole decade of trying new things, it was, to, it was just to overcome the pain. It wasn't because, you know, I was going to enjoy this particular thing. I thought I just literally was looking for that distraction. Distraction, which is like yeah. my, my way of coping, like I say, that's no different now to, I could have turned to drinking or smoking to calm down at the end of the day or, like we all have these different fixes. I was like, I need something huge to distract myself and scare myself. So I'm so shy. I was going to do something out of my comfort zone every year. And that's what I wrapped my identity in initially. And I, like I said, I've since grown from that, but it, it was the whole decade, I think, of realizing, um, that I hadn't dealt with a lot of the depression and pain properly. Like, like you're saying, why did you want to be a mom? Um, a lot of that, and I think in the beginning was, like I say, it's an identity. I can be a mother. That's what you'll call me. And when I started running, it's like, well, I'm a runner now, and it's all about that. And you get humbled every time because the plan doesn't go according to how how you wanted it to go. I didn't become a mom 
And then when I'm injured and it still happens today, I'm like, well, you see, you can't run. So who are you now? Are you any lesser person because you're not running now? Or So it's a constantly I'm like learning and I understand, you know, people, we crave things and we fill the voids differently. So the whole child thing, I had to just learn. It's okay when, you know, we're with a, a couple without children, the only one, you know, at a gathering. That's okay. It's, you know, we know less worthy than the couple who has three kids mm. and manages everything. And I mean, do you, in your heart, do you want a child still now? Like I, I, I hear what you're saying. I hear there's a, there's an element of acceptance. There's an element of acceptance, <laughs> but do you want a child still? I think if you had to give me a, like a black and white, you know, tomorrow you can or you can't, I would say, oh, yes, please. Like, no, but it's just it a go. question. It's it's not if I give you anything. It's just it's just a genuine, you know, I'm hearing your story, Debbie, and yes. um, as human beings, we are resilient and we do. Look, it's an interesting conversation, right, because I speak of resilience and human beings are resilient, but at the same token, we talk of, of your dad and we understand you know, what happened with your dad. And there's also that option for human beings, right? Um, yes. But uh, on an intrinsic and, and, and on an intrinsic level, when human beings aren't um, intoxicated, right, with alcohol or drugs, yes. or those things that can, that can uh, disconnect them from their instincts, humans are resilient. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm just like, so I understand your you know, that, that you have, you know, you've, 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 you've grown and you've, um, you've become, yeah, just a, a, a just a, a, a fuller, a more, you know, a, yeah, I don't know if you could see it in sort of size, your energy's grown, mm-hmm. right, as a human yeah. being through this journey, it hasn't shrunk, it's grown. And, um, and you've become resilient and you've you've developed the skills also. It's like you talk about, you know, before I would take ages to get over it. Now I take, you know, a lot quicker, although it still pains mm-hmm. you in your heart, but you do take quicker. Yes. So you've also developed the skills to deal with it as well as a human being. Um, but my question is, do you want a child still? I would, I would love a child. Genuinely, when you say that, like in my heart, I'm like, I would love a child. And again, just being honest, We've been judged a lot because here again is a subject that's taboo. It's and I always say one size doesn't fit all because people say, well, then you could simply adopt or just do this and the other ways and other means. But it's something we have worked through as a couple, and again have you know absolute no judgment and patience when people throw out that word, you know, and just say things like that the other ways. But for my husband and I, we had peace that we wanted to try these different methods and have a child of our own um, between us, like our our DNA, that's the path we were on. And we didn't explore the other options and depth because that to us, we just didn't have a piece about at the time. And obviously, like I say, if there was a miracle and I knew tomorrow I could fall pregnant, I would be over the moon and it's something we would still welcome and absolutely love even though we are at peace that it cannot happen because physically it cannot happen. And we have, you know, we have no more 
means and we don't have that deep desire to pursue any other alternative routes we pour our love or i pour my love into my husband he's like my child and i absolutely love nurturing him and in all the ways i would my my children in that way and we're very fortunate that through the running um and through family and having godchildren and nephews and you know we're able to fulfill in a certain way our love of children that way so yes mm-hmm. i can honestly say i would still love a child i, I always joke i'm lucky you know, I am fit and I'm healthy and um, my husband, at least in his biased opinion, and like, you don't look like, you know, you as old as you are. And I wouldn't be the granny at the school if I had a child right now. And obviously, I would definitely, I can say honestly, tell you, I'd love a child if I could. I, if I could be pregnant tomorrow and still have a child, I would absolutely love to have a child. Um, but I'm also at the same time, like I say, I I can honestly say very comfortably I, I have that peace that it's okay and I I know we're not going to have a child and it, it is realistic um, that we will never have a child. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I I can be addicted to hope that you never know um, until the day I die, until I'm 80 and 90 or 100, I'll of course probably be on my rocking chair joking, oh my goodness, you know, like I feel like, I don't know, stomach's big or I'm hormonal today or and joke of, you know, I can't explain um, my thoughts around it. Like I've, I've come. Yeah. So, yeah. so if forget about all your thoughts, <laughs> like I'm just, it's, that's why I want to ask it again. Like I know I'm asking it again, but it's because I hear you filling in a lot of information around it. But so that's why I just, you know, do you still want a child? Oh, when I answered you in the beginning. Well, yes, yeah, I just would. if I ask right now, yes or no? Yes, I would okay. love a child. Yeah, yes. if, if full stop, full stop, right? <laughs> like, we, you know what I mean? Like, I just want to put it out there into the universe, you know, that's it. Without filling out and, and saying miracles and this and that, like, I'm just, yeah, just put it out, Yes. You can see my weakness there, Jen. I still like to try and explain myself. I know. So that <laughs> <laughs> so, I say, there's so much when I, especially because we don't like know each other. I'm like, there's so much that like I have to try to tell you to explain my crazy, weird, and mind and life in between. <laughs> sure, but you don't because this is this is what I do. So I've, I've, I I I hear what I'm not hearing. Do you know what I mean? Like I can also yeah. fill in things that I'm that I'm not hearing and and also you know obviously everyone tells their story but it's important for me to kind of yeah to for also for you um to see your own story to mirror back your story to yourself you know I feel my responsibility is also to give you the opportunity to mirror your own story right so and often we can make it very fluffy and and our lives in general, we can make it very fluffy and vague by filling in all these things around it and, and you know, yeah. filling in the opinions of others and filling in our own excuses and our own, um, yeah, also even filling in the justifications and all these things, you know, as opposed to just sort of ke- yeah. it's like a yes or a no answer, you know? Yes, you're right. I have, I've, even with no, I've learned that no is a full sentence. I don't have to explain why I don't want to do something or come somewhere. Yeah. Or it's one of those things too. And sure, just you saying that to mirror my own story, 
it literally made me almost want to cry. How sad is that? As you, I get like a lump in my throat because I'm like, that's such a nice thing for you to say and suggest. <laughs> and like, I'm, it sounds silly. I'm like, that's something for me to think about. So like the questions you ask me or make me think, you know, differently. Mm. It, it was just something very, yeah, a, a kind thing for you to, <laughs> to say it, that you want me to be able to mirror you know, my own story, like, like with the questions you asking that way. Yeah, well, it just took me aback. I'm like, that was nice. (laughs) Sorry, delayed response. Yeah, well, it's, you. you know, that pleasure. And I mean, for me, you know, I say it even on, you know, I do say it on the website, um, just to explain, you know, the show, but also myself, my truth and, you know, behind this whole show. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not just the listener, you know, that I'm feeling a responsibility to, but it's, it's you, um, you know, because sure. for me, um, this is not just about the listener. It's about you and your story. And yeah, I, you know, I, I sometimes put myself out there, um, to ask the questions I ask, but it's, I sort of, I always, I mean, I've said this before on, on some, somewhere on the platform, but, you know, I always say like a little prayer before every, conversation because i i truly believe every conversation is a spiritual process um and an exchange between me and the person telling their story and you know that's why when i interview famous people like i I really don't want to know their story i don't and i don't even go into their profiles much because i don't want to know about them on a on a surface level like i just want to connect with them in what they're telling me and what i'm hearing and then if I ask questions that might be, uh, might sound shocking or um, generally they just don't because the questions that I ask just come straight. I, I, yeah, I just feel they come straight from above and I ask it and that's it. You know what I mean? And it's sure. just a genuine, um, it's just a genuine heart felt conversation with no judgment because I've, I've got nothing to gain from this. Yes, sure. Um, <laughs> sure. That's really, it's really beautiful to hear because I did the same as you had told me, like, don't, don't look into anything or overthink or, you know, listen to your previous work. So I didn't know what I'm walking into at all. Mm. Um, doing this. And that's why I think I, I perhaps almost tried too hard. I'm like, I want, and I want you to understand or see my heart because I still, I think I battle like that with, um, what would you call it? Like, approval you know of uh, like that approval addiction almost I think is something I grew up with that's still always another one of the many works in progress you know yeah. that yeah I walk through um and you make me emotional saying it's not just about the listener it's about me <laughs> I realize how much um sure like self I don't know self-care like I would need and letting others in like that's like again the nicest thing someone said you know mm, yeah um Sure, and it really just I say throws me because um, if I can just divert quickly to a current situation, <laughs> mm. um, like this year, I mean we've all had a very tough time with COVID, but my health ha- has taken a very bad turn this year. And and one of the things the doctor said because he was shocked and worried for me is like you need to, you know, like go home and someone needs to cook you a meal and you know take care of you and um, you need to just let yourself, you know be taken care of or you know speak up when you're not feeling like well and it's something I haven't done this year um and so just when someone's nice 
like that and says it's also for you i'm like okay doctor's orders <laughs> um <laughs> yeah yeah there i've been <laughs> no yeah just like say i mentioned i'm not running at the moment earlier in our chat um just to come fast forward to this year i've like I, I joked, I never go to doctors or take anything much. But like when I'm sick, I go from zero to hero, like with all these adventures I do um, over the years. And um, after a run in February this year, um, I had very swollen ankles. And I'm quite a tiny person and very bony. So for me not to be able to see my ankles was huge. And um, But again, like I say, I don't complain. It's almost... Um, to my detriment, you know, growing up, you learn to cope with pain and I, it's almost translates physically with me in that I've got a very high pain threshold. And I also just, I just won't complain. And, you know, you talked about a body being resilient. Um, my body's very resilient. And the doctor was saying to me, if it, if it wasn't so, um, I might not even be alive right now after this year. And that's not being dramatic at all. Um, uh, in the end, um, they found out I've got a very bad, stomach ulcer that's chronic and huge and it's bleeding and if I had left this any longer it could have burst and it could have been fatal and yet here I've gone for months <laughs> undetected which just shows how you know when something slowly creeps in and it just becomes your norm it's like yeah. dangerous because yeah. you get used to that feeling and um, physically and emotionally Mm. Um, and that's what happened this year. I had these swollen ankles, which was a symptom of my chronic anemia that had developed, um, that I didn't know about and was picked up on a random iron blood test. Mm. And during this COVID, yeah, we've, I had to go into hospital and they did various tests, everything. I'm 100% healthy. So they said it has to be something internally. Um, saw a specialist, um, and had to have this lovely medication the day before having a scope and coloscopy, you know, to go inside. <laughs> and that was awful. And, yeah. um, yeah, they found this huge chronic ulcer um, and it's bleeding, which is why I'm so low in iron and I've been so sick. I've lost a lot of muscle. I've lost weight. Um, my own poor mom cries when she sees that I have no cheeks left. And it's been the most humbling journey and it's all been, again, with the COVID virus here, you know, during lockdown and behind closed doors, not seeing anyone and coping. And um, I'm still at the moment, um, I'm on medication till the end of the year. And the doctor actually last month said, um, I mustn't even run the next three months. I really need to be careful and get better. And I've really had a quite a year just to add in that way that, again, no matter you keep thinking you've gone through everything in life and what else is there to learn or... Um, but it's sure, you keep learning and I'm humbled once again, just when I thought, you know, even like physically, I'm like, I'm someone who doesn't really, you know, wear makeup. I'm just a very casual person that way. Um, I don't really, you know, worry what um, physically, like what I look like in terms of having to please anybody. But looking the way I do and being so sick, I realized, gosh, I do worry more than I thought I did because mm. I'm very humbled and embarrassed that my body looks so ill and going out it's like we make a joke good thing I wear a mask because it hides this like sunken face and I've learned so many lessons just from being sick sorry Jen I'm just going off again I don't know what I'm talking no, no, keep about going. well I've got another question for you because you're talking about the ulcer now so we'll just in just quickly so they've given mm. you something for that where are you at with with the stage yeah. of this or um, thanks. 
yes, the doctors put me on tablets for six months to yeah. try um heal the ulcer and I'm four months into it. And hopefully when um that's healed, you know, I'll be digesting all my food properly yeah. again and all your peanut butter naturally hundred percent. I keep saying because I'm wasting so maybe, much money for Maybe you're eating too much peanut butter, Debbie. Did you ever consider that? <laughs> I was thinking we'll glue everything together. <laughs> no, but actually, it's not thing. a joke. Peanuts are very acidic, huh? Yes. No, I have I have cut back a lot. For yeah. real, it's, it's all good. And that's why when you just saying these nice things about me, like it will mirror the story for myself, this doctor had said to me, you know, it's time to look after you a bit. And yeah. I should just go lie on the couch and don't stress because it makes the acid worse. Mm. And I literally walked out um, – the doctor's room was on a Friday, the, like three months ago. And that following Friday, my husband walked through the front door and he actually lost his job during this whole pandemic. Um, and it was, it's just been so ironic that, um, <laughs> the doctors like don't stress as a chill. And literally the week after <laughs> I got this, um, Three months ago, yeah, that happened with my husband. I'm just throwing that in there. I don't know why that was coming up now. Keep going. But um, it was just um, we've been through like a lot of people, so it's not unique again. But it's been a year like no other. When I look back again on my life and everything that's happened, um, it just compounds. Like, um, and that's how I know I will cope with this new chapter that we are now facing because. Mm. Um, it's because, like I say, nothing's wasted. And I really believe this, whether it's like the pain and I know I've been through things like this and I will get through this as well. And we will get through this as well. Same with the physical. If, Like the doctor said, if my body wasn't as strong as it was, um, this could have been fatal. And I'm lucky that I've looked after my body for so many years and I am as fit and healthy and strong as I can be that it has been able to continue on this very severe like ailment that it's fighting mm. which is just shows you again like i get all deep and philosophical over stuff but it's those little daily habits that don't seem very how can you say like exciting or heroic at the time but then in a decade like there there's suddenly like an event that you're going through or something you achieve all those things have added up and now that looks amazing and heroic and people look at us and say how can your marriage be so strong when you're going through this way? This would, you know, shatter most people. And I'm like, because we've built on this like for years, you know, to get to this point. So that's why we are where we are. Same with my body. I've, mm. I've looked after it. I eat well. Um, I exercise. I mean, I've run. I've done comrades. I respect my body so much, especially after the infertility. I'm high risk for so many things because of all the hormones and drugs I've been on. But you and know, often, often, um, often it's a tragedy or um, difficulty that also gives gives equally gives us a reason to live. Yes. So it can equally give someone a reason to leave. Um, but I, I, I will reiterate. I think often that that can be compounded when one is on um, substance abuse and um, that distorts the mind and the instinct. But I think that tragedy and traumas is, is, can equally bind people. It can equally strengthen. It can equally give you a reason to live, to hold on. Um, And I think that human beings are constantly 
it's it's our instinct to survive and i think yeah. that um you know we need we need a we need something to grip onto so if you don't have something to grip onto you'll find something right to give you a yeah. reason to exist and i think that it's a choice like what are you going to choose to be your reason mm -hmm. to exist a hundred percent. It's uh, I love that word. That it is a choice. Everything is a choice and a decision, like daily. It's whether it's your attitude or how you're going to see a certain situation. And if it's inevitable, like this, my husband hasn't been able to find work here in KZN where we live, and we're going to. Hence, I mentioned we're going to have to be moving at the end of the year. He's already moved, um, and follow where he's found employment now in a different province, um. And so same thing, I can sit here and go feel sorry for myself and all pity, <laughs> have a pity party, or do you want to be powerful, not, you know, um, not full of pity, or what's the other words, like you can be bitter or you can be a better person. Um, and this is the inevitable thing, and what am I going to choose? have to make the most of the situation, it's reality, and, and forward we go. Um and even though it's ironic that this happens because it is a stress and the doctor's very worried that I mustn't be around stressful situations for my stomach and then this happens, um, that's where I'm just like, sure, God has a sense of humor because this is really going to test me. And I have those days, I was just saying to my husband, like, oh, aren't you tired of being like a testimony and an example for people? And I I don't feel like, like doing this strong thing anymore. And that's why I am so honest. And then I'll share with friends or say actually I'm not coping like today and this you know this is taking a toll on me and that's where you all bond and connect all over again and now I'm not being able to run you know I've had to share why I'm like I'm actually mm. very sick and I've been downplaying it um and I actually for you know for my life sake literally I've, I, I have to pull back and that's been humbling because um you know you're gonna have to start all over again you know when you start and and so the circle of mm. i don't know of life goes so tell um, me what what ex what beautiful um like truly beautiful experiences where there's been no sense of heartache or challenge what beautiful experiences in your life have bonded you to people oh thank you <laughs> um i would say all, all the crazy adventures I did every year after we stopped our infertility journey, I've literally met a different whole set and community of people every year. I, the first year, for example, um, I decided I would do a play. I read in the local paper that they wanted people to audition. And I, again, that's totally out my comfort zone. And there I met a whole group of theater drama people. Um, different actors and actresses and I auditioned for this play and I, I got a role as a dancer and they had goodies and baddies and it was quite ironic because I was given a role of a baddie when my personality is quite the opposite but that was again one maybe of the it's life just telling you to be a little bit more of a badass now Debbie I think it's, I know, I know. enough like, being this good girl setting an example as your husband rightly says I think it's time to oh. forget everyone else and and being there for everyone I think Joburg you need to get out this gangster in you and start becoming a little bit of a badass I promise you I'm like well no one's gonna know me and like my husband even joked like well they'll think this is how you normally look you know and 
the whole different personality. It is, I do have that, <laughs> that little side that I'm a very late bloomer. I can mm. say that much with everything in life. Yeah. Well, there's um, nothing wrong with reinventing ourselves, you know, and I think that this also gives you an opportunity to to let also let go of your story a bit. Do you know what I mean? Like let go of it for yes. a bit and and just find out what else there is. You know what I mean? In a way, it's like let's put the story – let's not put it behind us because our stories are never – they're always a part of us. It's like our stories are always with us. They're a part of us and it's all, as everyone knows, right, who's carried a story, it's all about accepting that story. But in a way, yeah. like let's not make that the conversation. And, no, and, it isn't at all. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's why I said this keeps coming up when I think it's gone and – um, the beautiful experiences you talk of, I'll just like I say, mention to you, I have done that like the last decade. Is It's exactly what I've done. I've kind of reinvented myself and deliberately stepped out my comfort zone all the time. I, I did this play, which was incredible and I loved and I enjoyed. And the following year, I signed up with an agency, for example, and I did extras. It was an extra in adverts and in movies, the mm. people you see in the crowd mm -hmm. who run around the back. And I met again a whole lot of different people. And through that, um, from being just someone in the crowd, I got two or three little roles in films that you could actually see your face and not just like the red jersey flashing in the background, um, that I was involved in. And I ended up being, I think on a movie cinema commercial for a local university here. I was the teacher with the glasses and the big hairband on top of my head. Yeah. Um, and I did all these kind of, crazy things which were incredible and I never would have done them. Why are they so crazy? <laughs> well for me who's very shy to literally now like say I step into a whole different like environment we are going for auditions now to play a role in like this advert and movie which is very intimidating for me to put myself out there like that. Mm. Um, and may I and, ask you why, why yeah. do you describe yourself as shy? Mm. I think that's a label that I was given when I was like still younger and mm -hmm. I've, I've let it stick because I am a naturally um, quiet and like they say introverted and that I often need my own time and space. Um, although at the same time as, as I get to know you, I know there's another side of me that that's quite the opposite. Yeah. But I'll always say I used to be the shy, quiet, Debbie, you know, I was quarter mouse and I really was like that. But that's where this whole, like you say, the, the tragedy is another beautiful story is just that it's really opened me up to, I'm like, there I am. I've said that once or twice in between, like when I do let go and I, I do laugh and I say jokes and I have a beautiful day, I'm like, there she is again. Like I can feel myself coming out. Mm. Um, and that's why I say life's so exciting and I'm a late bloomer because there's so much to look forward to also when you appreciate, like I say, I battle to let you know, like, my deep thoughts. But every little thing I appreciate so much, I think, because of what I've been through. Just one funny example, even, like, I go to the local, like, hospice shop or because we used to have a library and then I don't go to the library more, and they sell old magazines, Yeah, you know, for very cheap. And there's nothing that excites me more than finding a magazine that's from 2020 because it's still quite new because I don't buy new magazines myself. And something so simple like that still excites me or like I don't often get I never actually got that takeaway you know teas and coffees like people do from all these lovely name brand coffees like 
doors that I won't mention. And now with my husband working away from home, I was able to, you know, fly up now to visit him one weekend a month. Mm. And for the first time, there was this big name brand coffee at the airport. And I'm like, I'm going to have my first ever takeaway coffee from this brand. And anyone would think that's so bizarre. You're 40 and you've never had a coffee like this. And for me, it was so exciting. And, and You'd never had I'm a like, coffee? Oh. What do you mean? From this a particular famous like branded takeaway coffee that everyone not normally shops at. You can say brand. Well. I mean, it doesn't matter if you say names. It's not oh, a it's a, okay. I wasn't sure. <laughs> <There's> a, <laughs> I'm not going to get paid for it anything, but you're welcome to <laughs> say the brand. <laughs> the black cat is always welcome. I'm just yeah. putting it out of the university. <laughs> <laughs> the like Vida E Cafe is quite Oh, a, Vida E. Okay, yeah, it's quite yes. well known in South Africa. Yes, I've never had, you know, never had something from there just say until like now. And I'm like, oh, you know, so, you know, I took a photo and I sent my husband and even that brought me so much joy. So that's why I said I've got so much to, that I still appreciate and look forward to. But, um, and then came the running after the plays and the movies and writing my book. But this is what you're exactly referring to as this, I mean, even the coffee and then walking into the bookshop. And I mean, this is exactly what you're referring to in in my question also of saying, you know, what, what beautiful things have, have created a sense of what I said also bonded you with other people, but also equally created a sense of uh, joy and reason to live, right? I just want to ask you also, you know, you, you, you speak of your dad, like a question that actually came up while you were talking about the infertility. I was just curious also, you know, and, and it's, it's not important in, you know, in the big picture or anything, but it, it was a genuine question. And I think I felt I needed to ask it because I felt it. And it was, it's more for anyone who's listening who is in this journey right of this infertility journey so I, I feel that I needed to still ask it um mm-hmm. is like did you did you ever feel um during that time that because of what had happened with your dad and that your dad went and you know he had affairs etc and he he you've you know he left you as as a child in a way that's how yeah. you also experienced a father figure did you ever feel insecure that maybe your husband would leave you also because of the fact that you guys weren't able to conceive yes thank you for asking that um i'm a hundred percent can say i did feel that and i remember saying that to him like you need to go find someone who can give you children you know i'm no good i definitely had all those issues and insecurities and um a lot of what I went through as a child with what my father did um, and that whole family dynamic and experience, I definitely carried, and it was a huge burden, I think, for a young child, even now as an adult, to carry that that insecurity of I'm not enough. If I took it on myself. I know I did. I was like, if I was a better daughter, dad would have stayed. And, and I think I was still carrying that up to, you know, when he did commit suicide, I was... The, if I can just explain the situation a bit, um, my dad actually called and talked to me the day before he committed suicide. And it, it's, it was just something I cannot explain. He, he told me he, he was speaking to my mom and I, he, he didn't want to carry on and life wasn't worth living. And he had driven out to a felt somewhere and no one knew where he was. Um, it was such a, such an event I can't explain of 
um, trying to track him down. He actually ended up going back home, but he did take his life the following morning. I, I got that call, but it was me trying to convince my own father the day before that you don't need to do this, Dad, and I love you, and, you know, we're all here for you. And um, I know in that moment I was still feeling as an adult that, wow, well, I'm not enough because he can't stay around for me. And it's something that I, I have carried with me. And like I say, with relationships and marriage and this infertility, I 100% did feel, and I know I compensated a lot. Um, and sometimes my motives were not pure in that I'm trying to win over just say my husband by being the best wife I can possibly be, especially in those early years, because I, I wasn't able to conceive, even when I knew it was both of us. Mm. Um, and it did a lot of it stemmed from my dad. It was a lot of things that I've worked through over the years of um, that sort of I'm not enough and I'm not worthy because, you know, you won't stick around Firstly, when I'm young, you know, you left us and now you, he left for good. Um, and not to take that on myself. It's not, it, it wasn't my personal burden to bear, but it, and then again, same to share this infertility with my husband and know, you know, I, I am enough even without this. And, um, mm. oh, it's definitely something I can honestly say that yes, I have grappled with. It did come from my dad. Um, Sure, we we went from, you know, sort of parent-child relationship to me almost feeling like the parent and him the child. Um, and we our relationship did a full circle before I got married where he finally sort of, I think, saw me as as an adult, an independent woman, and I'm I'm getting married now. And, and our relationship after being quite, um, sure, I don't even know the word, um, you know, just quite broken I guess you could say it it really was healed which is such another beautiful experience um through tragedy that um and I got married and he walked me down the aisle and we were closer than we'd ever been now as as two adults yet um you know a a year later I think it was two years after we got married because he wanted to be a grandfather he joked at my wedding speech by the time he turned 50 (laughs) and that gave us two years and yet he never knew because when we began that journey, he took his life just after his 50th birthday. Um, so he never knew that, um, you know, I wouldn't be able to um, have children at that stage. But I actually dedicated my little book um, to my dad because um. Um, it was through this that, as I've chatted about, I grew to understand him more and understand where he was at that time and to to love him all the same, like, when I was able to forgive him and I realize now when I look at myself just as I'm chatting to you too that how I like battle to show love sometimes and open up in in the same way my dad had his own struggles with how he showed love in different ways um and so just uh I now also again you don't let that become the whole defining story of our relationship I do focus on the good memories and the amazing beautiful times we shared and let those memories be what carries me through um, with him. But yes, a lot of my insecurities, um, which is you can see in children, like you often say, whether the father figure is missing, the you know, dads are a huge thing, which is where my faith again ties in because, yeah, the, the heavenly father for me is, is a very big role in my life. And 
um, yes, it's something I am still working on. I can honestly say I've got a lot better at it, but I still, I know deep down, you know, I'm often will question, you know, am I enough for you or this person? Or like I even said with you, Jen, I'm like, I, I hope, you know, I'll be what you're expecting, even though you're not expecting anything. It's always that, that little trigger instinct in me that, is it, you know, am I going to be okay? Mm. You know? Sure. But everyone has that. I mean, uh, you know, the famous Oprah talks about the fact that every single person she interviews and she has some pretty uh, unique individuals that cross her chairs, uh, every single one says at the end of the interview, was that okay? Yeah. So it's just it a human okay. thing, right? We are. We're all human like that. Absolutely. Mm. Um, which is why, I mean, oh, like you say, appreciating the tiny things in life. No matter who you are, I mean, I don't know, it's the same sunshine. We can all, you know, enjoy. It doesn't matter if you're a rich, famous businessman like my dad or, you know, you. Was your dad, so who, to, to, to share, share a little bit about, like, who was your dad? Who is your dad in, 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 in energy, you know? What, tell us about your dad and, and, you know, I mean, you talk about corona now, right? You've mentioned it a few times yeah. and how, you know, that's had, that's had an impact even on you even, you know, having you know, develop the anemia and the ulcer and your, your swollen ankles and, and through this mm -hmm. time even, you know, what a crappy time to to have to sit in the house when you're actually not even allowed almost to leave, right? Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people and, and this, <clears throat> excuse me, this also goes back to Trisha's interview who who was running, you know, 100 half marathons in 100 days um, is because mm – -hmm it was for mental awareness because so many people were committing suicide and, and really getting depressed. So yeah, share a bit of your dad's story with us because this can, yeah, I mean, this can help some people. No, for sure. And I can honestly say that I, I don't know all the greater details in that, um, you know, we were, you know, living apart in different provinces and in terms of, the depression side, but I can say my dad was depressed and he, he was on um, medication for it. But looking back, um, like I say, even from the, the affairs or that searching, like I've mentioned before, and what you crave, I know my dad as a person, I could say now as an adult, I understand it better. He was always constantly searching. And perhaps we very alike like that, my dad and I, in that for that uh, approval addiction you know, from other people, external things, because he succeeded very well in life, in the business and work world, but he was always like a, the life of the party. My dad was like a big kid. Um, mm. I remember him very fondly like that, full of life, joking, um, like I say, the life of the party, lots of friends, but a, a genuine, yeah. amazing man. What but did your dad do? Day, you, you talk about him being in the business. He was in the, the motor car industry from from young he moved up up the ranks in that field from selling cars to becoming a manager um of he was with the vw brand and did very well um ended up working his way or you know all the way to the top of of his branch and um very successful and did very well um and um yeah taught us a very good work ethic hence um you know you will get your a's and be a good student and yeah he was very driven like that um but you know that's why i say work doesn't fulfill you a hundred percent um you know sure even searching 
like in relationships, you know, to make yourself feel better, that's not going to fool you. My dad turned to alcohol often. Um, not totally, um, I can say honestly, not, not like he was an alcoholic, but he drank too much a lot. Like I, a lot of us do, like I said, whether it's eating too much ice cream or drinking just too much to relax, just that too much. And, um, I remember often though, that's when, you know, the truth, they often say it's truth serum with alcohol comes out. And I remember many a conversation with my dad when I was a bit older, when he had had too much to drink. And that's when his softer side used to come out though. And he used to say, you know, I, I'm sorry I, I left you and your mom and I hope you forgive me. And he never quite had that peace because even the day before he died, like he was asking for forgiveness. Um, and as much as you can say to someone, you know, whether it's I love you, I forgive you or you're enough, you know, they have to receive it as well. Yeah, um, yeah. That's why, I, I could, like I say, I understand my dad so much better now, which is really hard. But at the time, I think he was just not to stereotype, but a, a man like that, successful, you know, the life of a party, you know, finding his downtime on weekends like a lot of people do in the wrong ways. But it only lasts for so long and people turn to different ways of coping. And often it was, it was at the end of the year after a milestone birthday um, that, uh, you know, I guess it, it was just became too much and you would never, you know, it's always often people you don't think would ever not be able to carry on but I, I do understand it on a different level it's because um you know like I say I have my big my faith in in God that sure there's more to life than this and I guess my dad just couldn't face you know another year and of you know carrying on and it's hard you'll never understand and it's hard to explain I guess but it's yeah depression is a very real thing and hopelessness is a very it's a very real thing. And I think once you just lose hope like that and you've got hope for nothing bigger than yourself, it, it is, it is hard. Mm. Sorry. I'm just getting a bit. It's fun. Um, it's fun. Sure. But yes, but, um, he was a wonderful man and I love him lots. And, um, like I say, um, I've got nothing but gratitude for, for things that he did teach me. And, um, mm. I know, yeah. But are you it's, are you okay? Like, did you? I mean, did did it impact you when when he, you know, when he committed suicide? Like, did it have an impact on you in a traumatic way? Because I mean, you you you, you've obviously got this crossover, right? You've got the crossover with you know with infertility struggle and not being able mm -hmm. to give life, and then your dad took life. So it's it's an it's it's a beautiful movie in a way, right? For people to 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 see mm -hmm. how you can create a, and, and yeah, just an amazing story out of this, out of your own life. I mean, it is a, you know, all story. I don't believe just ease plain sailing stories are beautiful stories. This is a beautiful life story. It's real. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you. So you make me so emotional again. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, like I say, I, I feel very deeply and I think I get that from my dad too. So similar Mm. in that way and yeah it impacted me huge and his death is part of why like I say I take things to the extreme like my I don't know how to explain my senses are heightened my sense of appreciation or, or like you just someone said something kind it just like blows me away I'm just so sensitive to how precious life is and how quick things change um 
and and my dad, I often think of him because I was, like I say, I wasn't sporty at all. And I know he would have loved a sporty daughter mm-hmm. at school. And I often think, oh, dad, and I will chat to him. I'm like, you won't believe that I've actually run the Comrades Marathon. And um, even my husband, we joke like that often. And that's how I keep his like his memory alive because I think like in heaven right now, he, he must be laughing that like I've achieved what I have. And um, Did you run I the know, Comrades? <laughs> I have done six Comrades Marathons. <laughs> Seriously? Um, you bring this out now? Yeah. Oh, I told you, Jay, we could be here for years. Seriously, you want to tell everyone quickly, okay? Because because it's true, we, we are we could be here for years. Because I'm just I want to know everything all the time. So, so but just um because um um Trish told me, and I could I could go back to quickly what that was. But what's it like 84, 84? How many yes, co- it, how many kilometers? Yeah, is a comrade's it? average is about eighty nine kilometers, yeah. ninety kilometers. Yeah. Um, and yes after I did the plays and all the cultural experiments and adventures, the following year I decided I need to do something sporty because that was out my comfort zone. And you actually and ran, ran six com. Okay, so sorry, <laughs> here I'm picturing, you know, we make a joke earlier about when we had to take that break for me to change the cards around, right? But we make the joke about the fact that you don't you don't want to drink water because you don't want to run into the bushes and have a wee. <laughs> so I'm thinking, of, you know, here's Debbie sort of, you know, she doesn't want to run in the bushes, have a wee on, you know, these sort of more... Fun runs, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's the Comrades Marathon. <laughs> when you've got the media everywhere. <laughs> no. So, yeah, the one year I decided I'm going to start running, that was my next adventure. I planned to only do it for one year, like all my other adventures. So I went into it like I always do, full throttle, gave it my all. I walked into a running club, and no stall, said, hi, I want to start running. And I went from not being a runner to saying, well, I want to run marathons and do everything you can in one year. Um, I didn't do comrades, obviously, that that like year I started. Oh, my God, sorry, I, I have to end. You actually, I, I almost want to throw up. I'm not joking. It's like I'm <laughs> feeling this, like, I, I can't keep up with you. And then I'm, like, thinking of this comrade sorry. and you want to run this in a year. I, I actually want to th- throw up. I, I feel sick to the thought of having to run a comrades marathon right now. It's just, it, <laughs> that is such a hardcore marathon. And... And here you did it six times, and um, why? <laughs> Jen, I was just like you up until I started running. I think I started running at the age of 31. Comrades was something you watched as kids growing up in South Africa, and I was fortunate I live in KZN where the Comrades Marathon is run. So we on the route. You can watch it live, you know, in pajamas. That's what everyone does growing up. You have breakfast and watch the runners come past you. And I also thought this is the most crazy, insane race when you watch it on TV at the end and the gun goes off and, you know, the 12-hour cutoff, you know, the runners aren't finished. I thought, who would ever do that? I could never do that. And look at that now. In my 30s, I started running. And after one year of running, I thought, you know, what is the biggest thing like someone can do running here? And it was the comrade. So I set my mind and I was like, I have to do this thing. Just once, I've got to run the comrade's mm. marathon. Mm. Like I haven't had, again, I haven't had the children and every year is a new goal and okay. this was it. And so I did. Um, the following year, I think it was 2012, I ran Comrades, which was from Maritzburg down to Durban, which is known as the Down Run. Um, and I was one of those people who you thought wouldn't make it. I was in a lot of pain. I'm not a natural runner as such. I had about 10 minutes 
I made the cutoff. Um, I did it in 11 hours and 47 minutes. Wow. Um, and I was at the end crying, thinking I'm that person on TV who you're shouting for. And it was just something that I cannot explain. Another beautiful moment that I achieved and I got a Comrades Medal. And the following year, I thought um, I had to do it again because you run in the opposite direction. It alternates every year yeah. and everyone's like, have to run up so you get an extra medal back to back for doing that so I ran up the next year and that was part of that journey and I said well that's it now with the running I've done the comrades marathon done both ways um what can I do next and after that I loved the whole sporting vibe and I had almost done everything in my mind I could imagine that was out of my comfort zone when you talk about reinventing yourself and stuff like that I was like well the other sporting thing that had tweaked my interest um, was to do like bodybuilding. <laughs> yeah. And that seemed the most extreme. And so I didn't do comrades the following year and I decided I would embrace this bodybuilding world and go on stage, um, and build some muscle and enter competitions like that, which yeah. is what I did. So that began that whole journey. But what the year comrades, was um, that would have been 2014. Okay. Um, and the comrades, though, and the running was a passion that didn't die. I did a whole year of this bodybuilding um, fitness adventure. But the year after that was the 90th running of the comrades marathon. And I thought I have to go back and do that. And I did. Um, and then I did it then and three more times after. Yeah. So I've done six in total missing wow. last year because I was injured on my crutches. And mm. this year, obviously, with the virus. But yeah, I can't say I won't be back. I'm not sure when yeah. you skip to years yeah. now. But I mean, so so now I also understand contextually, like you talk yeah. about, you know, abuse of substance or abuse of sports or abuse of this or this or that to, to sort of mm -hmm. be your release, right? So is this your experience? That's why when I, when I started running, it was still part of my whole, I need to distract my mind and focus yeah. and I'm, using it exactly that um and i can say honestly which has been such a beautiful journey that i, I found something i really love the running i and the community and yeah i just found something i was passionate about and now i run for the joy of it like that transition happened over that year of running that i'm doing it now because i love it mm. um not for any other reason not to fix a, an issue i have i absolutely love it okay and yeah believe me going back to run comrades again you you've got to kind of love it to put yourself through all that training it's not just the day <laughs> no for um, sure yeah before, and i love it i can honestly say it's something i'm passionate about and i started trail running in between the road running and that was something i loved as well running yeah. in the bushes and so, yeah, I do it now for the right reasons, but it definitely began, again, as a crutch to cope with everything. Yeah. Um, it's, it's continued since then, and I, I hope to do it again, perhaps. And yeah. same with the bodybuilding. I loved it. And I continued for five years and I think became the only person to step on stage and to run comrades in the same year. Um, <laughs> that was, it's like I say, so many beautiful, exciting <laughs> things I've done, but that was another huge chapter in my life. Yeah. Um doing that that's huge yeah for sure i mean that's a big commitment as is bodybuilding because it changes your whole eating rhythm it changes everything i mean you you can have i mean my brother was a he was mr south africa actually for many years so i've oh, got wow. a fair share of knowledge in the bodybuilding <laughs> industry and he owns yeah. gyms etc so but i know it just it completely consumes your world 
Um, mm-hmm. And then, of course, interesting that you did the bodybuilding with the running because running actually burns muscle. Um, it does. And bodybuilding, 100%. you need the muscle. So <laughs> That's why it was a crazy adventure. And again, I never did it to – I would never be a, a top, like, first-place contender mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of that. But again, I was doing it for the joy and for my own reasons and for my own journey. Yeah. And that also continued for about the five five years. Like with my running, I met the most amazing people. Again, I learned so much backstage that even these scary looking people with these big muscles who you think look like you could never approach them and say hello, everyone's normal and everyone's human. And it was just the most amazing, again, breaking of stereotypes. And I did my best, I think, even again amongst my friends to say, you know, it's something, it's a normal, beautiful thing. And, um, I, yeah, I that's an awful that. stereotype that the whole sort of bodybuilding exactly. is, is sort of and no I'm brain or muscle. And, um, it's, and it's I, a load of I nonsense. Love, yeah. Exactly. And I love breaking that. And even with myself, like I was a runner, I was always still pretty tiny. Um, and yet I just loved it. E- again, I embraced everything from having mm. a spray tan because I'm so pale to, you know, fake eyelashes for the first time in my life and I actually did quite well over the five years I I got my provincial colors twice (laughs) so who would have thought so it's just like I say um the people and the journey and life is just it's so interesting you just gotta (laughs) just gotta go with it and yeah but you do realize that you are full of contradictions I mean we've got like I said we've got burning muscle and building muscle right and then we've got well okay I'm I'm making light of it in 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 just in the the context of this point I'm making but then we've got infertility and then and then your dad right wanting to bring life and then your dad leaving life so it's interesting how your your journey is. is is full of contradictions and and yeah, there it is yeah <laughs> i promise you sometimes like i say i feel like i'm almost not made like i'm not made for here because life is so deep and i just the way i think and feel that's why i love connecting with people because i think i must be the only one who goes through this or has this or feels this way like i'm made for more because i can't understand like how i'm thinking these things but that's what i love connecting and mm. talking to people because you know, you see there are people who go through similar things or think that way, even, mm. you know, and you're like, oh, we all actually the same. You know, it's like embrace the differences, but we also also similar in different ways. But yeah, we're oh, also chaotic. <laughs> it is, it, but that's, it is a mess. But it, yeah. like life's so messy, but that's the point, I yeah. guess. Like I've realized, stop trying to, it's never going to be perfect. All the lists are right. I try to work it out. There's always a curveball. There's always like, mm. oh, yeah, another plot twist. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's just to just to go with it yeah. and go through it. Go numb yourself. Just yeah. let it feel. So going go, back, like, going back to your dad, I just want to mm-hmm. round this off. Um, yes. So because then you you know the the comrade sort of slipped in there. So I mean that was it could hardly just ignore <laughs> that you said you ran it. What was it six oh, times? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Um, but just, I mean, did you suffer, did you, um, like, would you say you suffered post-traumatic stress at all? Did did this happen to you in any way? Like, did you have that experience or, you know, not everyone has that when, when, when you know, someone that they know very well um, either dies or, or, you know, in your dad's case commits suicide um, of, or, or, you know what I mean, natural death or um, self-harm death or 
did you have that experience that you had to go through of, of traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress? Or Yes, yes, I did. I remember I, even on the medical side, it was advised, you know, do you want to see a doctor? This is when, like, um, do you want to take something for it? You know, that's how they just But what say. were the symptoms? Um, I, I did. I was, I was crying a lot, just feeling it was more the emotional um, sort of like, flashbacks can I say and just always very teary feeling very down I recognized um you know that that like very sad feeling that I like I, I had experienced you know on and off and like when stuff happens but that very that literally heaviness waking up sad um before the day's even begun all those um that kind of symptoms I do definitely remember feeling and like getting a fright even when the phone rang for a long time that bugged me, that high-pitched phone because I had heard it early hours in the morning. That, like, those kind of little triggers and um, um, I can honestly say, and again, I respect if anyone does go on medication, I think I took about two tablets after we went to a family doctor and was advised you take something to cope and I just didn't like that numb feeling. I still felt just as sad inside. So I wasn't someone who took anything for it personally. Um, after my dad died, but it definitely, I, I know it affected me and I worked through it for years. And I remember literally that, that heaviness, feeling like I was having panic attacks, heart attacks. It, it's something that, uh, you know, has come up and down how I react to things tragically when they happen in my life. And I mm. did experience a lot of that kind of physical, um, thing. Yeah. Does that still happen to you today? Like those sort of panic attacks, feeling that you're going to die? I am vulnerable to it. I can I can say that yes. Like if something very bad or tragic happens, that initial shock it always, like I say, affects my my stomach. And then yeah, I become very aware of my breath. I get like a tingly feeling. I often used to think I'm having a heart attack, literally feeling because you get those tinglings in your arms. So it is something I'm very aware of. Or yeah, yeah, you, that instant like migraine headache. I remember and little stars in front of your eyes, all those experiences I had like after that suicide, I do, that panic attack wave definitely hits the attacks, that anxiety. Mm. Um, that's why I, um, I relate to that a lot because I'm, I'm very physical like that. Um, mm. I do. Um, you, no matter how many positive quotes you give yourself after something's happened, all the, the lessons I've learned, um, my body still will react very strong um, to things like that. So, yeah. yeah, panic attacks, anxiety. I did get that after my yeah. dad. The flashbacks, like a movie that you see, like the phone ringing. I used to hear that. Even as I told you now, I can hear that same tone in my head yeah. if I think about it. Yeah. So it's definitely there. You've just got to learn to, yeah. Well, like I've learned to feel it now. Don't go numb it now because it's upsetting. You let it you know, push through. Feel it. It's okay. Like, And then carry on. Yeah. So I mean, Debbie, um, we're gonna we're gonna move towards wrapping up, um, yes. but you know, like, what of of these all these beautiful life experiences, real life experiences that you have lived on your journey? Um, we're here, we're talking, we're having an empowering conversation, open. Um, what is that one, yeah, that one essence inside you that says, I'm going to keep going? And, and not, not with 
any connection to the outside world and what people are thinking. It's, I'm talking about the source within you that's a, a direct relationship between the source and yourself. Got nothing to do with anyone else. What is that essence um, that sort of says to you, I'm just going to keep going in contrast to your dad's experience of life. What is it that you can share with us? I could say, honestly, it's because I believe in God. God is my everything. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to say that. And that is why, because I know life is, it's not about me. It's about God. And, um, that's what keeps me going personally on my journey. Um, okay. my faith, my belief in God is everything. Um, I love it. It's like a real relationship. It's not religion to me or rules or whatever. That's what keeps me going. That, you know, life here is a gift. God gave it to me and it's actually not about me. It's about him. And, um, honestly, it's my faith and just bringing him glory in everything I do and being, yeah, I'm just being his child is what keeps me going. Cause I know I'm loved regardless. I know that this life here is just temporary and, um, all this pain and suffering has a purpose and he turns everything into good. And honestly, if I didn't have that, I wouldn't cope and I wouldn't carry on. And that's where I say with my dad or a lot of people, they're missing that element and nothing fills you um, like like your, like God and his love. Mm. And it's something I still struggle with because like I say, it's a very real relationship like any other. Um, I'm like, I didn't get what I want and I get angry at him and I'm like, you know, you test your faith and I'm like, oh, I can see why people don't believe in God. My prayers weren't answered. But that's the testimony. It's like those unanswered questions is what faith's about. And I still believe in him, even though I haven't got what I wanted. And I think that can, you know, that's kind of like mm. my testimony and my story. I'm mm. still here. Mm. <laughs> like even, yeah. yeah. And how, I mean, um, how would you, how would you describe your God? How would you describe God for your experience in life? For me, I believe in Jesus Christ and um, God, my father. I'm a Christian, although, like I say, people put labels on things and it's, it's another one of those. Yeah, but forget what people think. I'm just asking so you. That for me, is yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I believe he died for me. And um, if it was just me, he would do it. And I, that is such a real relationship for me um, that I cannot explain, like, He's my father and um, my relationship with God has been tested so much, like I say, during my life, especially when you believe and you read that, you know, pray for something and, you know, your prayers will be answered and all these things. But at the end of the day, um, I haven't got what I wanted, but I still like, I still have faith and it's got even stronger. And God is like my father. He's my friend. He can take it when I'm angry. I'm not a surprise to him. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. It's, it's, he's my everything. Uh, you know, there's more to life than what we see right now. Yeah. And uh, honestly, that's the only reason I keep going. Like, truly. Debbie, what a super cool story. Um, I, you know, I obviously have to edit these stories and um, I revisit the whole story in its two and a half hour entirety. I go through the whole story again and it was just such a joy to hear your story, you know, because you're, yeah, you're just going out there, like the essence of your journey is just so real and, you know, you are this little powerhouse. I say little because, you know, as you talk about your own story, um, 
uh, yeah, just you're this little powerhouse who goes out there and just, you know, gets control of the situation and makes her world amazing. And I look forward to to seeing what happens with you in this new chapter. And so much love and gratitude for coming onto the show and sharing your journey with us. So guys, without any further ado, it is now that time of the show for me to introduce my next guest. So guys, my next guest on the show, super exciting as well. His name is Dwayne Fields. Those of you who live in the UK, um, or are watching uh, National Geographics or Discoveries or those channels. He's on quite a few of the television programs um, as an adventurer. And um, yeah, he's done some amazing things. And his story is incredible um, of how he really turned his life around where he could have ended up in the gutter, you know, with, yeah, just ended up on the wrong side of the fence should we say and he turned his life around he saw an opportunity in his life and he took it and and everyone has those no matter from what side of the tracks you come from no matter what side of the world you come from no matter what your family background is I mean Dwayne's story is so super empowering and inspiring and so open and honest it was just a really beautiful journey um sharing his story and yeah can't wait to share that with you guys next week um so stay tuned share this on with friends guys as i said share the show it's um it's always amazing to receive uh, stories from people that we know and trust and if you vetted the story then share this on with friends who you believe will also benefit from it and um, yeah find me on the socials if you're needing an interviewer let me know if you're needing someone to help you just yeah reflect on your own story then send me an email and we can schedule that in guys have an amazing week and as I always say see you on the flip side in between your sheets breaking out in the best of ways and I'm back again on the street